If you're a first-time listener who's only interested in hearing the Horror Cinema Awards, then you can skip ahead to 1 hour and 14 minutes into this show where our awards presentation begins. But if you're willing to join us for the whole episode, first you'll hear a recap of instances in Academy Awards history when horror films were actually recognized. Then you'll hear our theories on why we believe the horror genre has been mostly overlooked and underappreciated for the past century. And finally, we bring you Horror Movie Podcast's very first Horror Cinema Awards. This is Eduardo Sanchez, and you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast's Horror Cinema Awards, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 111. And on Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-hosts tonight are... Dave Dr. Shark Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh and Jay. Honestly, it's an honor just to be nominated. <laughs> yes, it is. And uh, the other thing I would add to that is, wow, these things are heavier than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so in case everyone hasn't gathered from our title and our intro and so forth, we're talking about something very important tonight. As we record this episode here, guys, we are only a couple weeks away from the Academy Awards. And as any cinephile knows, that is the most prestigious award ceremony for cinema, even worldwide. I mean, is that not true worldwide? I mean, even in other countries, it seems like they even respect yeah, the Academy uh-huh. Awards. Yeah, definitely. Sure. Now, at the same time, we cinephiles also spend a great deal of time, I guess, <laughs> like kind of griping about the Academy's like <laughs> short-sightedness, the narrow-sightedness, and so forth, and especially where it pertains to horror. And as we approach here in a couple of weeks, and the reason for this episode coming up is we had remarkable films in 2016. I mean, one of which that we've heard a lot of buzz about, for example, was The Witch, a New England folktale. And that is one that, you know, I mentioned recently. It received no love whatsoever on the Golden Globes award ceremony. And a lot of times those picks, those nominees are often indicative of a lot of what we'll see at the Academy Awards. And, you know, people are like, yeah, no kidding. They're not going to mention The Witch because they overlook horror. And this is something that horror fans every year lament And so I guess the first thing we should do, we were going to kind of talk about at least some of the history or at least some of the instances where the Academy did recognize some horror films. We thought we would point those out, but they are fairly rare. 
So, Dr. Shock, what's the first horror film that you can think of that the Academy actually gave a little bit of recognition to? Well, that would be Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Yeah, 1931. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was Frederick March getting uh, Best Actor. Mm-hmm. Yes, Best yeah. Leading Actor. That's exactly yeah, right. and very well, very well deserved. I mean, that is my favorite version of that story. It's really just so well done and, and so clever the way that they, um, I don't know, have you seen it? Oh, yeah. Not recently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the part of it, the, 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 one of the, the coolest things about it is when he's changing from, you know, Jekyll into Hyde. You see him, like, almost physically transform in a way. And, and how they did that was they, they had him in different color makeup. And even though it's, you know, black and white, but they, they had sort of a color wheel in front of the camera so as it would change, you'd see the different shadows and such on his face. It was really clever the way that they did that movie. But then it really is Frederick March's performance that, that sells it. I mean, he's, he's just, he's excellent in that film. He really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I know Spencer Tracy had done it a few years later. Um, uh, and I know he had, he had gotten some acclaim for that as well. But for me, this is, this is the definitive uh, uh, take on that story yeah, and, and that for that same f- film there were also nominations for best cinematography and best adapt adapted screenplay but it didn't win for those just nominated but and then we have like 1944 the phantom of the opera which it won for uh, best cinematography uh-huh. right and also um, yeah, it, it, it did and then unfortunately that one is they, they kind of muted the horror in that version I mean, it's still there to a point, but it's it's more of a focus on um, the love story um, than it is, um, you know, if you look back on like uh, Lon Chaney Sr.'s version, uh, this this other one is a little more. Yeah, it, it's not quite. I mean, it, it is included on the Universal Monsters box set mm-hmm. um, just to have that just to have a Phantom of the Opera on there, I guess. But yeah. It, but and as, I mean, I can see that part of the reason that the Academy t- took to it, I'm sa- I'm guessing is because it wasn't as strong on the on the horror. Yeah, well, and, and that's possible. And in, in fact, this is a, a theme we're going to see a little bit right. as we discuss. <laughs> that <laughs> happens. <laughs> yes, it does. But it also won for uh, best art direction, and it was nominated for best uh, sound recording and best music mm-hmm. you know, like scoring of a musical picture back then so that that was that one and then uh what about i haven't actually seen this film but the picture of dorian gray from 1946 oh that's it's a tremendous movie it really is i haven't seen it in a few years myself but um it's it's a really good uh sort of creepy tale i mean you know the setup of this guy's got this painting and of himself and it's like a portrait and, and the portrait is aging and he is not uh but as he as he does these acts like he's he becomes evil in a way and as he each sort of horrible act he does the painting becomes even more disfigured i think maybe that's it it's not so much it's like it's almost like it's it's his soul the picture is his soul and each time he does something wrong it becomes more grotesque um that to the sounds point awesome. that, you know when he it really is. It's a very good movie. It's it, it's excellent. Um, so I could definitely see that. And I'm pretty sure it has a, has a young Angela Lansbury in it. I think she has a, 
it might be, I don't know if it's her earliest role, but it's one of her earlier roles. Wow. Okay. That's cool. Josh, have you seen the picture of Dorian Gray? You know, that's one, and I was going to say this with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, too. That's one I saw as a kid, and I remember them really haunting my my thoughts as a child, but they're not films I've revisited. Okay, I got you. Yeah, so that one, yeah, it won for uh, Best Cinematography, Black and White, and um, it was also nominated for Best Actress in a Supporting Role and Best Art Direction, so it's pretty cool. It had uh, Angela Lansbury, yes. So, yeah. um what about Dave? I'm kind of jumping up and this I'll mention to the listeners. This isn't necessarily an exhaustive list, although one could make an exhaustive list because <laughs> there aren't that yeah, many. We're not, it was not, we're not exactly talking about a hundred movies here. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, we're just trying to prove a point as we go through these. But in 1963, whatever happened to baby Jane, that one, uh, one yeah. best costume uh-huh. design. And it was actually, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say it was nominated for uh, Best Actress in a Leading Role and Betty Davis and Best Actor in a Supporting Role and Best Cinematography and Best Sound. So it had a lot of nominations. But what were you going to say, Dave? I, just a real quick little thing. My my father has a, has a personal experience with this movie, um, and it was actually when he was um, when he was over in Vietnam. Um, him and another guy were uh, each set up to pull 12 hour guard and those guys said to my father he said I'll pull the first one you go catch the movie well the movie he caught was whatever happened to baby Jane and he said he didn't blink for his 12 hour it was the rats that the rat uh, scene that really got to him and even to this day the movie kind of you know, gives him the willies he, he can't really watch it yeah well <laughs> that's understandable I love stuff like that where people have an association where they're totally freaked out by a movie that that's what i remember most about blair witch i remember what the first time people saw blair witch i heard that you had factory workers which presumably are very tough people right uh-huh. tough men and women would like be awake for three days after they saw blair witch so right right <laughs> i love how a movie will <laughs> affect people but anyways uh-huh. whatever happened to baby jane yeah that had a lot of nominations and uh one win so there's that one and then, of, co- of course, this is where we start getting into the more familiar, more recent, more infamous films. We had 1968, Rosemary's Baby. And yep. it, was, it won for Best Supporting Actress, and it was nominated for Best Screenplay, and, and uh, obviously Best Supporting Actress. So what about that one, Dave? Do you think that's pretty well-deserved? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um you know, I, Ruth Gordon obviously is the one best supporting actress for that, uh, and I think that was well deserved. Um, but it's one of those movies where it probably should have gotten a few more nominations. You know, if 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 you look at it, and and uh, I'm not I'm not saying necessarily maybe best best picture, but I think it was uh, it was it was kind of groundbreaking in a way. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, plus, you had uh, Roman Polanski directing it, and I can't remember what special it was. If it's Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, or if it was A Decade Under the Influence, or what? It, one of the specials where talking to Polanski, he there's a shot in the movie, and it has Ruth Gordon where she's on the phone, and the camera sort of is going around a door jam. She's in the other room and going like around to sort of see her, but then stops. Well, you just sort of catch a little bit of the of a glimpse of her, and he said he did that. So that the audience like would all sort of try to peek around the corner, like looking around the door. It was kind of an interesting way to sort of manipulate an audience. And 
he said it, it worked. I mean, the, the, it wasn't Polanski giving the story. It was uh, one of the other guys associated with the movie, and he said it worked at the showing they were at. Almost the entire audience leaned to the right to try to look around the door. <laughs> um, Brilliant. Uh, just th- things like that, where, where they put that sort of thought into those shots, you know, and it, it's... Um, yeah, I think Rosemary's Baby should have uh, should have garnered more nominations. Personally, nice. Yeah, yeah, I could I could see that for sure. Now here we have like kind of a historical uh, horror film with the Academy Awards, um, nineteen seventy three, The Exorcist, which has the distinction of being the first horror movie that was nominated for Best Picture. Now it it did not win. But it was, um, it actually had nine nominations total. And I, and I think a lot of people remember The Exorcist because of how scary it is and so forth. But I mean, it was actually an awards darling as well. I mean, that's a lot of nominations for a horror film. And it ended up winning for Best Sound and Best Screenplay. The Exorcist is one of those movies where, where you get a big budget, uh, not a big budget, but a big box office return. And it's almost as if the Academy can't ignore it. You know, it ha- it also happened with, with Star Wars. It happened with, you know, Jaws, where they're just such a big uh, you know, uh, favorite. You know, they made so much money that you can't ignore. And The Exorcist was, was that movie at that time. Well, they ignored Transformers, for example, right? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Dave's like, shut up and don't talk about Transformers when we're talking yeah. about award-winning <laughs> films. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying, oh, of course, The Exorcist deserved it. Yes. It's not as, I mean, it did deserve the nominations. <laughs> right. Uh, but but the Academy feels, I don't know, I mean, they, it's almost like they feel obliged to nominate a movie that has, that is that sort of return. And that's why Jaws, um, again, deservedly so, got a lot, got a number of nominations. I see what you're um, saying. So- yeah, it's just, they can't ignore it. Is what I'm saying. Even if even if they there are members who possibly would want to, they can't. So, Josh, do you, do you feel like the Academy is sometimes, I guess, peer pressured or feeling pressure to recognize films because they're so popular with the general public that that if they don't give them some kind of love or attention, that maybe the general public will be like, what are you guys talking about? Everybody loved this film except you. <laughs> right. Well, I don't think they've been too terribly concerned with that, you know, for many years. But I think obviously when they added the 10 nominees for Best Picture or whatever, mm-hmm. that seemed like, a you know, a sea change there trying to make sure that the popular films were getting recognized as well uh, by the Academy, at least in terms of getting uh, the proverbial nod. Yeah. So. I think, uh, you know, I think that's actually gone quite a ways to getting people not thinking that the Oscars are full of crap, you know, once again. <laughs> Still, of course, everyone likes to complain about them, but um, yes, I think that's something. <clears throat> I don't know, like, thinking about why they don't recognize horror has been something that's perplexed me for quite a while. And I don't know if it's just these are films that are not on their radar or if they have a block where they they are unable to recognize the quality of the films. Well, um, I have regardless. some, I have some theories on that here shortly. Right. I, I think you're, yeah. um, you know, you and Dave and the audience will be probably uh, laughing at me as usual, but I do have some serious 
serious theories. Now, um, with the exorcist though, Dave, I mean, like, like in terms of recognition in this one, it is remarkable because they got nomination for best film editing, best art direction, best cinematography, best director, um, actress in a supporting role, actor in a supporting role, act, actress in a leading role, blah, 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 best picture even. And it won for best writing, screenplay, and best sound. So, I mean, that's like like 10 different nominations, which is pretty incredible. Um, I think in, in sports, they call that, well, I, I guess this wouldn't be the winningest, but it's the most nominatedest, <laughs> right? Maybe. But anyways, moving on from that. Right. What about uh, 1975 Jaws, nominated for four Academy Awards? Um, including Best Picture, and it ended up winning Best Editing, Best Score, and Best Sound. And that right. was one that did that did not get nominated for Best Director. I mean, there's a video mm. out there. It's kind of kind of infamous now of, of Spielberg watching, um, you know, the the nominations and then sort of reacting that he didn't get a nomination for Best Director. Um, it's kind of interesting. It's always interesting when a picture's up for Best Picture. Not so much now nowadays because you have you know ten nominees or nine nominees and you only ever get five best directors. But in the old days, it, it almost sort of uh, more time, more often than not, it would fall in line where the best pictures would also be up for for best director. And it is kind of interesting that Jaws did not get a best director nomination, but considering that it did go, it was up for for best picture again well deserved i mean it's it's an amazing movie and it should have gotten more nominations i mean it should have probably been up there along the lines of what they had given the exorcist well i tell you what i learned from carl huddleston over on movie podcast weekly he said that uh verna fields the famous film editor she actually later in spielberg's career when he was more established and more confident or whatever he admitted how much help she actually gave him with this film and brought yeah. to his attention. Like there were, I guess there were, there were scenes like sequences that didn't have the connective tissue, like continuity from, you know, scene a to scene C like he was missing uh -huh. shot B, you know, and then well, she was helping with that. And that's fine. I mean, you know, that that's fine. But even if you take Spielberg out of the mix, how do you not get like Robert Shaw for best supporting act? Right. That's true. You know, it's Quinn. I mean, he was amazing in that movie. And it, just for that one scene alone where he's talking about the USS Indianapolis. Oh, yeah. You know, I, it, it's deserved more nominations. Even if you take director out of there, it deserved more nominations than it got. I am. That's in my top 10 all time favorite horror films. But then in 1976, even even The Omen uh, won an Oscar for Best Original Score by uh, Jerry Goldsmith. And it was nominated for Best Original Song. It didn't win for that one. but And maybe because that song translated was Hail Satan. But, <laughs> but, but anyways, um, 1977, um, some people would argue this is not horror. But we, we talk about these movies because, you know, it's, it's a monster movie. Classic monster movie. And it's uh, King Kong. And, and that ended up winning for uh, visual effects and it was nominated for best cinematography and sound. So there's that one. That's the one where, well, all the Kongs do this really, but especially that one, the Kong, he changed sizes quite a bit. Right. Right. Doc. Yeah. Right. I, I think so. Yeah. I, I don't, I remember seeing, I don't even know if I've ever seen the seventies King Kong. I have to be honest with you. 
I, I think I even own it. I haven't seen it. Um, or if I have, I think I've seen parts of it. I think Jeff Bridges is in that, isn't he? Ooh, I think Jeff I Bridges is in that one and Jessica Lang. Remember. Um, but anyway, uh, I just remember seeing, <laughs> it was around that time I was really getting into comic books. And I remember every comic book I got, they had a, 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 an ad for King Kong on the back cover of it. Um, yes. So, that, I mean, that's my big memory of it. At that, You know, I was, what, I guess eight years old when that came out. Yes, and you're correct. It is Jeff Bridges. Yes, it okay. came out. Um, 1976. And I think it was, I think it was Rick Baker in the suit, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Well, and what I see, what stands out to me about that movie is, and I'm not dissing because I realize it was 1970s. Right. But I mean, when you see it now, it, it, and I know it's like many, many years later, like 40 years later, but I mean, it, it looks, it looks pretty dated and the King Kong looks very fake but i mean i guess in the 70s they're like they're like that's pretty good stuff it should win an oscar and it did so what Mm -hmm. what do i know but then we get to 1979 where alien was nominated for best visual effects and best art direction and it 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 won for best visual effects nice yeah and Again, again well deserved absolutely and of course i mean everyone cites this one um, 1981 in American Werewolf in London, Rick Baker won the Oscar for Best Achievement in Makeup because it's phenomenal. Absolutely. Did it, they create the category that year for that? I honestly don't know. I thought I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. Um, I thought I'd heard that they thought I almost had to come up with a category for that, but I don't know if that that was the first year of makeup though. That makes sense though. I t- yeah, <laughs> if, yeah. if that were the case that would be the year to create it you know I mean that's right, incredible absolutely and then um, 1986 I'm going to say something controversial here we have Aliens and it won two Academy Awards Best Visual Effects and Best Sound Editing and um, I'm just saying on my top 10 list I had to choose between the two right Alien or Aliens and I went with Aliens so it is I prefer it over the first one a lot of people hate mm-hmm. that but it's the no, one re- I mean, it won two I, oscars versus one oscar just saying and and, and that is that is the uh that's the standard on the line that's that's the standard right? the that's, measuring that's stick as we absolutely <laughs> absolutely it. no i mean it uh, it's one of those things where you, you you'd hate to think of not having them both you know i mean they're both for me tremendous i always will prefer the first one uh, you know part uh, you know, sentimental reasons, but also I just, I, I do love um, the, the, the way that was designed. I mean, it's like Ridley Scott said, it's like truck drivers in space. Yes. You know, exactly. and, and they have to, they're the ones who have to deal with this. By the time aliens comes along, they, they at least know of the threat or, you know, they have some advanced warning. These guys had no warning. It's just, here you go, we're putting you in there and we want you, we want you to bring this thing back. We don't care if any of you survive. Right, right. You know, and that, and that's just something, and, and plus the great tagline in space, no one hears, no one can hear you scream. I mean, it, just yes. so much about Alien that I, that I love. But Aliens is a tremendous movie. It really is, and I love it too. Yeah, well deserved. There, I'm glad they were recognized. And then also in 1986, you had The Fly, which won an Oscar for Best Achievement in Makeup. So that makes yep. sense. And then uh-huh. in 1988, this is a macabre. 
comedy horror Beetlejuice, right? Gets best achievement in makeup. It does it, but it's funny. I was talking with somebody at work not too long ago, and this movie really scared them. I mean, they were very young at the time. Yeah. Um, but this movie did scare them, and and they pointed to the scene with, uh, I guess, where he where he like they're walking on the staircase, and it sort of becomes the 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 Beetlejuice snake. Um, you know, that, that one scene. Um, totally remember and it. He, yeah, and he said it, it it kept him up. He couldn't he couldn't watch the movie for like twenty years after that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was I was young then, and, and and I thought it was kind of freaky to be honest. So, it's fun. It's a good movie. Um, yeah. And in nineteen ninety, Misery, um, Kathy Bates won an Oscar for Best Actress. So, that's yeah. And it's funny because this is where we start seeing um, uh, not all the time, but some of the horror movies have other genres thrown into the mix. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of people look at look at Misery as a thriller. Uh, obviously, Beetlejuice is, is a comedy, fantasy, horror type of thing. Right. Um, and I think we see that it's going to become more frequent as we go forward here. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, this next one, many a horror fan has fought about the genre classification of this one. And, and I just, I'm tired of fighting about that. So, 1991, The Silence of the Lambs crime thriller borderline horror but freaky it is actually the first if you consider that a horror movie which many people do it is the first horror movie ever to win best picture it won the top five if i'm not mistaken actor actress (laughs) screenplay director and picture and it was the first time since 75 with one flew over the cuckoo's nest that a movie had done that yeah, it's very impressive. Let me let me just make sure I had I may have misnoted that. Yep, won five Oscars. You're exactly right. Then yeah, the top five I left one out. Yep, picture, director, actor, actress, and screenplay. Awesome. And it was also nominated for two others uh, for sound and film editing. That's pretty killer. It's something yep. to be proud of. And in 1992, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, one might say an art film. And so it's no surprise that this was nominated for four Oscars. It won three of those, Best Costume Design, Best Sound Effects Editing, and Best Makeup. And and well-deserved. Well-deserved, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Honestly, now see, that film right there, Bram Stoker's Dracula, honestly, I know it was more of an indie effort, but I, I see The Witch on that same level of artistry, even though it's a little bit, you know, it's indie mm-hmm. versus yep. this, but I mean, I see them as the yeah. same kind of art horror film. And 1993, Jurassic Park, which is obviously, I mean, it's an adventure and it's it's a lot of things, but I mean, it's got quote unquote monsters in it. So I know a lot of people don't necessarily consider that horror, but it did win three Oscars just for the record. Best sound effects editing, best sound and best visual effects. So mm-hmm. anyways, and then what about Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, 1999, nominated for Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, that's well-deserved, and Best Costume Design, and it won for Costume Design. That makes sense. I, I would have I thought Art Direction, too, though. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure what won that year. I don't know what it, what it, uh, uh, what it ended up winning for Art Direction that year, but Sleepy... Uh, you know, Sleepy Hollow was pretty amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. when you just look how that whole thing was put together, it's it's just a just such a cool movie to watch. You know, right? I agree. Now, here we go. We're at uh, another King Kong flick, which again, you know, when 
not necessarily horror, but it's a monster movie. So King Kong won in 2005 for Best Achievement in Sound Mixing, Best Achievement in Sound Editing, Best Achievement in Visual Effects, and it was nominated for Art Direction. And uh, I love that film. A lot of people are not in love with that film, which I don't I don't really understand, but people diss on that. Right. I think they think and it's too it, long. <laughs> wouldn't it have been cool to, to uh, see uh, like Andy Serkis as, I don't know, best supporting actor or, or in that for for Kong? Oh, yeah. They would never do it. They would they would never do it. And I and I and I don't know that, you know, I think it would be very controversial if they were to try to do something like that, but it would have been kinda cool. Um, you know, to give him a best supporting actor uh, f- for that, that would have been that would have been pretty cool because he's, he's amazing as 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 Kong, as he was amazing as Gollum. Yeah, well, he he behaves like a gorilla. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, absolutely. honestly, it's it's uncanny actually his performance. So it's incredible. I agree with you. I back you hundred percent, Dave. Now. In 2007, we had Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, which is like a horror musical that was nominated for Mm -hmm. Best Actor, Best Costume Design, and Best Art Direction, and it won for Art Direction, which makes sense. Yeah. Here's a beloved one, and we're almost to the end of the list that I have, at least. Uh, 2007, Pan's Labyrinth which is uh, just a phenomenal fantasy horror. It it is. It's incredible. I, I, it's beautiful. It won for best achievement in cinematography, best achievement in art direction, which is yes, absolutely. And in best achievement in makeup. And it was nominated for best original screenplay and, um, written music for motion pictures, original score basically. And, and, um, let's see, best foreign language film of the year nominated for that too. Yep. Yep. Well, then it did win. It did win something, but it did not win best foreign language that year. Yeah, it won. It won best cinematography and best art direction and best makeup. But it's. But how could it not be best foreign language film then? <laughs> I know, right? I mean, I'm I'm with if you. If it's winning, if it's winning awards for cinematography and in, in the general awards, how could it then not be? I don't know. I that that I remember being perplexed by that at the time. I'm I'm sure it was. I don't know what beat it. I'm guessing it might have been an Oscar bait type of movie. Um, uh, I don't know. I just I, I can't believe Pan's Labyrinth was not the best foreign language <laughs> uh, film that year. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I think it was one of Josh's favorite films of all time, which was yeah. The Lives of Others. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. oh, oh OK. Yeah. Oh, the Lives of Others. Is I that the one that I, won that year? I believe so. I think that's what I, I mean. Think. Come on. Yeah. I mean, lives of others is yeah. Lives of others. Like they're both they're both great, but yeah. But lives of others is pretty amazing. All right. And then finally, the last one that I have on the list, Dave. I don't know if you have any newer than this, and I completely forgot that this was even on there. But 2010, The Wolfman actually won an Oscar for best yeah. achievement in makeup. Rick Baker and Dave Rick Elsie. Baker, right? Mm-hmm. So they hadn't erased so much of his work. They probably <laughs> would have been a much better film. So. <laughs> Yes. yes. I mean, he, his his work is as beautifully on display in the film, but I don't know why they felt the need to use CGI when you've got Rick Baker. I don't get it. Yes. Yeah, it's strange. So, okay, guys, this, well, it's technically on February 26th, I believe. We're going to have the Academy Awards ceremony, the 89th 
Academy Awards ceremony. So, so this has been going on for 89 years, and this is our point in going over these films we just mentioned. And by the way, we may have missed a couple here or there, but here's the point. Let's just say that in the past 89 years, let's just guesstimate that 20 films, 20 different films were nominated each year. Now, usually it's more than that, to be honest, like in all the categories, like for best actor and you know what I mean? Best documentary and et cetera. But let's just say an average of 20. So 20 times 89, you're looking at about 1800 films. So in 89 years out of 1800 films, what do we talk about here? About 20 to 25 films that won that are horror-influenced, horror-related. And then maybe half of them that you, you could say are just maybe even less than half that are straight-up horror movies. Yeah, yeah. And so that percentage is so low. I'm not a mathematician. Maybe one of you guys can bust that out. But we're talking about an extremely low percentage, obviously. And I'm yeah. not going to do math on the fly and embarrass myself. But basically, <laughs> I want to know, and I want to talk about right now, what do you guys think the problem is why is horror underappreciated and overlooked so often? You know, I, <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's a hard question to answer because we're trying to, it is viewed as, in some cases, like a, a, an unwanted stepchild. I mean, especially looking with Paramount. I mean, with, with their announcement this week, with uh, with the Friday the 13th, they're dropping it because Rings did underperformed. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're cutting like two movies. Um, you know, the next World War Z and the Friday the 13th, you know, reboot, follow up, whatever you want, whatever it was. It's almost as if horror is what you put out, you know, and it's, you know, to a select audience. If you look in the 19, 1950s, a lot of the movies that were horror at that time were, were the science fiction. They played at drive-ins. I mean, that they were, you know, I mean, not solely, but the type, the, the type of movies that were gearing towards kids, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the teenagers at the time, and, and, and that was horror in the 1950s. Not exclusively, but, you know, for the most part. Yeah, there is a, there's um, definitely a B-movie quality to yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's one of those things where, I mean, even now, I mean, you look at it through the 80s. I mean, you had the critics the critics just bashing the movies through the 80s that, that we all now look back with reverence and consider classics. Even the, those critics, they would never admit that they you know and and it's just it's just the way i i don't know it, it's hard it's hard to go into it really is just sort of like horror is just sort of something we do for a select audience well let me throw a couple things at you guys and tell me how you feel about this so way back to the very beginnings okay so we all know like we're we're all cinephiles here and we all know our film history where you know the the very first images were like recordings of kind of like everyday events like the arrival of a train at a station or people's factory workers leaving work right and then you had the french i think he was a genius from everything i've ever learned or heard about him georges melee right oh yeah definitely he was a genius there's no doubt about it yeah and he was i mean he was kind of a godfather or a great-grandfather of the genre picture, I mean, he did sci-fi movies. He did um, some nudie movies, right? Like some uh-huh. naked people. Yep. Doctor yep. Shock yeah, movie, basically, is what we should call. It. <laughs> and, exactly. There you go. And he did. <laughs> and I'm just playing. And he also he did some like horror type. 
you could maybe mix the line there with sci-fi and no, horror, but, but he but had I monsters. Think, he did. He, he had some. Yeah, definitely. And so because he was doing and I, I really think that the less amount of respect or whatever that this gets, I think it actually dates back to that era of Georges Millet. And here, here's one theory why is because they looked at him. He was kind of like um, kind of like a circus act of the cinema he was doing these little parlor tricks i mean he was kind of a magician of sorts i mean he had a film called the merry frolics of satan (laughs) for example but but anyways he did these little b movie and even that title b movie suggests you know a lesser value he did these things that were kind of like geek show pictures for the kids for the youth right? Not super sophisticated. And I think that in the very beginning, they were looking at these genre pictures as just less sophisticated. So I think that's the first part of this. How do you feel about that so far? Is it? It's possible. I mean, yeah. the cinema was so incredibly young. I mean, at that point, hardly anybody was going to it. Yeah. Like the, the 400 tricks of the devil, AKA the Mary frolics of Satan, that was 1906. And then you had one called the devilish tenant from 1909. And so, yeah, I mean, most people peg the actual birth of the motion picture. I mean, really, it was about 1895 or 1896-ish. Some people argue on the year, but I mean, so we're talking literally like somewhere between 10, 11 years old, (laughs) what you have here. And P.S., I just caught myself on something. I guess the devilish tenant was not horror at all. Yeah, so I just wanted to put that out there for, for but people. But he did do certain <laughs> things with demons. I seem to remember there being uh, yeah, trip to the moon uh, had demons in well, it. Well, yeah, that's right, trip to the moon did. But I even even aside from that, there was one that he did that uh, I have a collection of his movies upstairs, and I I, I remember seeing something that that had it that had a demon in it. You know, that was the the main focus of it, and I I, I can't remember what it is. Well, and in here 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 you go, Dave. This will. You'll appreciate this. In The 400 Tricks of the Devil, a.k.a. The Merry Frolics of Satan from 1906, spoiler alert for everybody if you haven't seen that movie. (laughs) But according to uh, Greg Carlton, who wrote the premise on IMDb, two travelers are tormented by Satan from end to end and eventually experience a buggy ride through the heavens courtesy of the devil before he takes one of them down to hell and roasts him on a spit. That sounds pretty dark to me. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he you could call him and I think some people have called him like one of the first um, horror filmmakers. But anyways, let's keep moving on past that. So we talked about the disrespect of um, B movie and the kind of the less sophisticated nature of genre pictures where it's the same conventions over and over. But then more than that, you had. You had people entering the industry of filmmaking in through these low budget channels, which was be like pornography, because some some people end up getting into the film uh, film industry by starting out in pornography, and then like they would either it would either be a lateral move or a step up into horror, which is also a low budget genre, and I think that because of its close ties to like being the so-called bottom rung of the ladder when you're trying to climb up into the film industry because you can climb up in and porn or horror. I I think that that also gave it a little bit of a reputation of ill repute, so to speak. 
do you guys think that's accurate? I mean, especially since, you know, a lot of times horror has nudity and sexuality depicted in it. It does. I mean, I think, yeah, it did. I mean, in the, in the seventies and even then even more so in the Mm eighties, uh, you saw a lot of that. I'm sure it did. I'm sure that was part of what it was. And then, and then obviously when the gore came into it, um, a lot of people, if you look at where the gore film started with, uh, not started. I mean, I'm, I'm, I know that. Uh, well, yeah, H.G. Lewis is the godfather of gore. Yeah, nineteen sixty. I mean, those were those were like micro budget um, indie movies uh, that that did mostly play at drive-ins. Uh, so yeah, I mean, once you had all of these things mixing together, it did, and I guess in a lot of people's eyes, sort of uh, you know weaken it or. Tainted, um, tainted. Yeah, I mean, it's blood stained. If you, look at, you look at something like like Psycho, which is a classic, but Hitchcock shot that on the cheap with his television with the with the crew from his television series. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, not only that, but it was you know people did not want him to make the film. Like, there yeah. was a lot of hubbub around the release of that movie. I mean, I think. I think you're getting to the key, the core of what it is for me, Jay. I think you hit on two things. Number one, the budgetary restraints are sometimes uh, something that, you know, the horror fans overlook, but that, you know, for a mainstream audience is maybe, you know, less appealing. I mean, even take The Witch, which I think is a beautiful work of art, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot as the evening progresses, but you compared it to, you know, Francis Ford Coppola's take on dracula and you know really if you look at the budgets of those films and the production value on display and the actors involved it's really a very different picture i mean you're talking about you know although they were a lot of them handmade special effects even on uh, you know on bram stoker's dracula they were still huge over-the-top effects with just massive sets and crazy you know costumes that had been art designed by, you know, fashion, you know, people in the fashion industry and just like, you know, pe- actors who were at the tops of their games and in terms of box office success. And so I don't think it's um, comparable, I think, to a mainstream audience who's just coming in to, to view something. And so maybe just for that reason alone, maybe it's not on Hollywood's radar when you're talking about the Academy voters, particularly – I mean, in, in that specific case, the filmmaker Francis Ford Coppola, and I think we're changing. I think in a year where Moonlight can be nominated and, and possibly win an Academy Award, you would think that The Witch would have just as equal an opportunity with, you know, a small unknown cast, but a beautifully made art film, you know, that starts out at the film festivals and makes its way to the mainstream. Um, you know, it's a bit of a different time there. But then I think you hit on the other element, which is the content. And I think the content is looked down upon, frankly. You know, mm-hmm. I think whether it's the gore, whether it's the nudity, whether it's right. taboo. simply the themes, yeah, which are, can be taboo in and of themselves, the paranormal, uh, you know, a slasher. These are not things that a lot of people are com- very comfortable with, you know. Exactly. And I think that's the idea you know, good. It's a horror movie. You shouldn't be too comfortable with it. But um, I think it takes having Kathy Bates and James Caan in a scene for anyone on the Academy to appreciate uh, a hobbling. I don't think a hobbling 
in you know in Hostel Four was going to be appreciated by Academy voters. You know what I mean? So <laughs> right, right. I think <laughs> it's just um, you know it's just the nature of the industry. It's a lot of it's built on um, prestige on one hand, and then on the other hand, I think there's just the taboo factor. Yeah, and let me build on what you said there. Like on the first aspect, the first facet. So because of you know people like not appreciating or looking down upon it. What you have here is a brand of film or a genre of film where, you know, parents aren't going to be super supportive in sending their kids to it. Right. So, um, I think as far as an industry and as a business, maybe the filmmakers know that, Hey, um, this isn't going to get a lot of support. These aren't four quadrant movies where like everybody can go and bring the whole family. So there's not going to be a, a huge box office. And so therefore the budget can't be huge. And I think that's why like something like Bram Stoker's Dracula is kind of a, a rarity where, or, or this year's the mummy is rare because you don't have like a, gigantic budget going into horror films usually and and because of that i think that there's a dismissiveness because i think people associate low budget with low class but we see from uh, the witch for example that low budget does not necessarily equal low class for sure so right there's that side of it um and the other side that you were talking about so with the taboo elements you know why why do we not like horror? Like you said, it makes us feel uncomfortable. And, and, and that's what I want to get to the heart of this, everybody. And, and this is my, my uh, final answer. If this were a game show, my final answer would be the heart of it is horror is the genre where we look our own mortality in the face. We look at death and we don't like to look at death. And I think that by and large, generally speaking, I mean, there are horror fans, which are a special breed of people as we know, but most people don't want to face their own mortality and look death in the face. And I think that's why um, it's, you know, it's poorly regarded as far as, you know, as genre. What do you guys say about that? I, I think that there are a lot, out of people, it makes them uneasy, and I'm talking, you know, I'm sure Academy voters and, and critics as well. Um, you know, where horror movies just sort of make them uneasy. Um, I think what it really comes down to, though, with with the Academy Awards, is um, it really is about Hollywood. You know, that that's what the Academy Awards are for. It's it's to sort of glorify Hollywood. Uh, and they let in a few independents every year just to sort of, you know, flesh it out a little bit or whatever. And, but it really is a, a, a big studio thing. And it always has been for a lot of years. Um, so you, they're, they're only going to look at certain types of indie movies. Let me, you see it in the ratings they give them. I mean, you know, a movie like Whale Rider gets, I've seen movies that get R rating for brief, strong language. And I know immediately it's an independent <laughs> movie, mm-hmm. you know? So it, it, it's it's Hollywood praising Hollywood. And, and one of a better term is very masturbatory. Well. That, that it's all, you know, it's all about Hollywood praising Hollywood. And if you look at the interesting things being done in horror, it's all indie. I mean, you know, the, 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 the studio is the one turning out the, the more cookie cutter type of horror movies. Not always. I mean, they've had there have been some, you know, especially in 2016, I think it was a good year all around for horror. Um, but just not there. 
they're only going to let a select few in in the door and they're going to be very choosy about what they're going to let in the door. So I generally agree with you, Dave, but I do actually want to challenge you on that because, and this is a point I used to make all the time over on movie podcast weekly. If you in defense of indie film, which is if you look at the best picture winners, many years, that category is filled with independent films. Um, The winners. Yeah, well, not just the winners, but also, like, I don't know why I randomly chose 2015 here when I was thinking about this, uh, but, you know, uh, if you look at Birdman, Boyhood, Grand Budapest Hotel, Selma, The Theory of Everything, Whiplash, Imitation Game, I don't know the pedigree of all of those films, but I know a great deal of those films were independent films, and they're certainly more... But they were, were, but they're also studios that got behind them. Yes. I mean, they were like picked up and major studios got behind them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we're, and we're pushing them. Yeah, absolutely. So it's going to benefit those studios. I mean, we're talking like The Witch did not have that. Correct, yeah. D- you know, so, so, mm-hmm. so even if it's an independent movie, there's still a major studio sort of pushing it. They just made that um, position is what you're saying. Yeah, they, they, they bought the movie. They, even yeah. if they didn't produce the movie, they bought it. Yeah. And that's what that's what sort of brought it into the fold. I, I and it's not always and it's not always like that's not always just those movies that get in either. Um, and I think this year, I, I, what is it is Moonlight? I don't know if that one had I, I honestly don't know if a major studio had gotten behind that one or not. Um, yeah, it would, certainly not during production, but I don't I don't. I don't know who picked it up, although I will know by the time I finish the sentence. Uh, the film was distributed by A24. So, I mean, that's the same distributor as The Witch, essentially. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> wow. It is, but they're only going to let a select, like, that's what I'm saying, like the truly yeah. independent movies yeah. where the studios didn't buy them for $6 million at a film festival or something and decide to give them a wide release or, a, or push them as, a, as an awards movie. I think that they're the ones that are just going to say, hey, we're not going to let them rush us. You know, we're, we're going to sort of hold them at bay for a while here and, and just let a few of them in. So to speak to a couple of your points there, uh, number one, Dave, you were talking about Hollywood being all about celebrating itself and so masturbatory. And honestly, prediction here. So for this this Academy Awards here in a couple of weeks, La La Land, which is about Hollywood, that's going to sweep the Oscars. That's going to be the best picture. I'm predicting it right now. And so that's case in point what you were talking about there, Dave. I mean, that thing is going to get so many awards. It's going to be it's like Titanic. Gonna, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get a lot of awards probably. Although, the, you know, one thing I know last year they sort of split it up. A lot of movies, like a lot of movies won awards. Like I know Spotlight won Best um, Best Picture. Best Picture. Mm-hmm. You had a different, you know, The Revenant got, I think, actor and, and director. So it was sort of more of a mix, you know, last year. I mean, I mean, even Bridge of Spies got Best Supporting Actor. I don't know if they're going to do that this year. I mean, La La Land sounds like it's the, you know, sort of the run. It's like with The Artist a few years ago. Yeah. Which is also sort of glorifying, uh, not necessarily Hollywood, but movies in general. You know, and that was, I don't know if that was a big, I know it won Best Picture. I don't know the other awards that it walked away with that year. But yeah, it, 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 you're absolutely right. I mean, it's looking as if La La Land is the is the runaway. It's it's the one that's going to... Uh, I think Moonlight has, serious, has a serious chance as well, well but... 
Well, uh, to and speak to what you said about Moonlight and The Witch basically being distributed by the same. <laughs> the difference between those two would be, because I've seen, seen both films, the Academy is also very good about promoting and lifting up films that are helping with social causes and putting forth, I guess, the importance of uh, raising awareness where there's a social cause that needs help. And so, and that film's about the adversity facing the gay community. The main character is a homosexual man. Whereas The Witch, in contrast, is just, (laughs) it's about a witch destroying a family, you know, like, that's not going to get the same sort of sympathy. So I think that's maybe one difference there as well, because Moonlight is a quote unquote important film. Whereas The Witch is just a genre picture, right? But anyways, a couple other points and then we're going to move into the very exciting part of this episode. I think something interesting about the horror community, we, you know, us horror fans, we tend to, I think Doc said it earlier, we tend to overlook certain things. I mean, we are a little bit more, uh, I don't know, permissive about performances maybe and due to the budget restraints we give a pass sometimes for low budget i mean if if it has the most important genre elements that we're looking for like scares you know or the violence or the gore or the blood or whatever what have you special effects if they just put their eggs in the baskets that are most important to us then we can kind of give that a pass. And I think that's why mainstream film critics are often so dismissive and so hard on horror because they can't appreciate the baskets that are important to us solely. They look at the whole thing and they see many areas where they fail and then they just dismiss them altogether. And, and unfortunately, that's the case. Yeah, I mean, I, like we went over, yeah, like you said, we went over with the 80s slashers. I mean, if, if we were to remove ourselves from growing up with these, some of those movies and you look at them, you're going to be like, wow, this is not good. <laughs> you know, you show it to, a, <laughs> to an average movie fan and they're going to say, this is crap. So you're right, Jay, you're absolutely right. We're, we're, we'll sort of overlook one aspect of filmmaking um, in favor of another. That's absolutely true. I think true we appreciate and, you know. things that not all film fans can, though. I think yeah. you know, horror, horror fans tend to cultivate a appreciation for you know practical effects and things that you know that maybe mainstream film fans don't. I also That's think true. that the films are, as Jay kind of alluded to, operating on the most important level, which is a scare. Then it gets a pass because, it, like Paranormal Activity being a great example, everything about that movie technically is seems to be in a, a disaster. It doesn't matter. It scares the crap out of you the first time you watch it. And that's all it needs to do. And so, you know, it's fulfilling its primary function as a horror film. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Okay. So one of my favorite reasons to have Wolfman Josh on this show is because he is a, a filmmaker in his own right, a very talented filmmaker. And I know that Josh is aware of how the industry works. He knows what it's like to make a film and put it out there. And I think what, We film fans or film critics or, you know, the people who aren't actually in the trenches making the movie, like, it reminds me, Mark Twain once said, Josh, he described critics as eunuchs in the harem, and he he said that they know how it's done, and they see it done every day, 
but they can't do it themselves. <laughs> and so it's honestly, if anybody knows any degree of what goes into making a film, which I don't know on the level that Josh knows, but you will be aware that how difficult it is to do these things well. And when a movie gets made, simply when a movie is made and you're watching a movie in front of you, that's kind of a, a small miracle that happens. And then <laughs> if a movie is actually an excellent film, you know, a work of art and just well done, then that's that's even a greater miracle. So, Josh, I just wonder if you could speak to how difficult it is to make a film and pull all these elements together, because a lot of times I admit as a film critic myself, I'm too dismissive of the hard work of you filmmakers. Yeah, sure. I mean, not to reference myself, but like I recently, one of my favorite things about awards season is uh, the Hollywood Reporter releases these roundtable uh, masters videos where they have like a lot of the people they anticipate will be getting nominations during awards season sit around a table and talk with one another. And that's one of my favorite things each awards season is going to YouTube and checking out all of these roundtable discussions. And they'll have, you know, like eight of the biggest actors that year, eight of the biggest uh, cinematographers, eight of the biggest directors. And you get to hear Quentin Tarantino talking to, you know, whoever. Like this year, I, you know, it was kind of a weird selection for the directors. It was like Denzel Washington and Mel Gibson and uh, Oliver Stone. So it was, a, it was a weird group of guys this year for the directors. But, <laughs> but the cinematographers was an incredible group of people just talking about how nervous they still get every time and how much you know effort they put into it and how scary it is and how many things can go wrong and how you know the relationships between – first of all, it takes so many people. On a Hollywood picture, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of people – um, you know, and, and the actors and the director and the cinematographer all have to work, you know, artistically together. Their talents need to inform one another. They need to complement one another. And then you have to have an editor that can come along and um, guide that in kind of what they call the final stage of writing a lot of the time. You know, a lot of people will say you direct the picture three times once when you write it, direct it, and edit it, or you write a film three times once you write it, direct it, and edit it. Um, and so each of those stages needs to go perfectly. Uh, but then, you know, not just those big positions, but every position, you know, cinematography, uh, you know, a good cinematographer relies so much on a good location scout and a good costume designer, and a good set decorator, and a good props master. And if you don't have all of those things, the cinematography is not going to look very good. It doesn't matter how good the uh, the guy holding the camera is, or the guy overseeing the holding of the camera is. Uh, if everything that he's shooting is ugly, it's not going to look good. <laughs> and I was talking to one of our jurors, uh, Chris Peckover, who um, we'll talk a little bit more about in a minute, but he was talking about The Witch, and he was saying if there had been an award for best color timing, that's the award I'd have liked to give the witch because, you know, just even you can shoot the film perfectly, but then, you know, whoever handles that color timing in post-production, is going to have a huge amount of influence on the final look of a film. And so uh, I, uh, yeah, it's incredibly difficult to pull off a quality film. Um, it's incredibly difficult to pull, pull off a low quality film. And so, when we talk about films that are award worthy, they're these masterpieces, which I think so many of the films that we're going to discuss tonight are. It's been just an incredible year for horror. 
I, I think that's why we all get so excited. And I, and I honestly, I feel honored that I get to watch these movies sometimes, yeah. you know, uh, we, we were talking about the whaling a little bit earlier on. I was so glad you were able to catch it before our, um, review, but I just felt joyous when I finished watching that movie that I got to experience that. Cause I could see how much effort went into making such a perfect piece of art, in my opinion. So, um, you know, and I felt that way about many, many, many of the films that we're going to talk about tonight. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm just going to confess something real fast here. So I know that people don't really care about Jay of the Dead's personal journey about film criticism and horror film criticism. But as we've been preparing for this particular show and I've been thinking about it a lot, I know it sounds like I'm getting all choked up, but I, I was just coughing. So everybody, that's not for dramatic effect. Anyways, I have been reflecting on how I, too, can be really dismissive and really hard on people's artwork as a film critic. And I guess I want to, in a sense, repent for that and try to improve and not be so, I guess, such a jerk in my dismissiveness of somebody's art. So I think I could be reviewing films for horror movie podcast and for movie podcast weekly and not be such an outright jerk. So anyway, I'm just putting that out there. That's something I want to improve upon myself. So uh, what say you about that, Dave? Yeah, I think you should improve. Yeah. Yeah. You're kind of a jerk, bro. <laughs> no, I, I agree. But Dave's no, a film no, critic, I, I, too. I know what you mean. And and I I go into any, every single movie wanting to love it. I really do. That's how I um And mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm sure I'm, I'm sure most critics do. I'm sure maybe 100 percent of the critics do. You know, nobody wants to waste their time watching something they don't enjoy. Mm hmm. Uh, I, tr- I try to look to find, see if there was something about it, you know, that that's worthwhile, even if it's something that um, I didn't care for in the end. Was there something about it that maybe someone else could link on to and, 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 and enjoy? Um, I don't take any pleasure in trashing a movie. I think some critics do. Uh, yeah, I don't either, by, by the way. I, I don't I don't I don't I don't like. And I don't think you do either. No, I'm not saying you do, but I, mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't take any joy in it. I have a harder time writing negative reviews than I do writing positive reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there might even be critics who, who come up with a little, you know, uh, little quip uh, based on the title. And they might even go in hoping they don't like the movie so they can, uh, you know, I just, uh, I mean, I've seen that happen. <laughs> right. I've seen that you know, just so many times, yeah. yeah. you know, where somebody will trash a, a perfectly good movie and throw in a little thing, you know, with the title. It's like, oh, they're just showing how clever they are. Yeah. Everybody um, did that with disaster movie, even though it wasn't a good film either. But, but that title right, was right, one, right. one example. Like they're yeah. walking into the right stuff, just being like, "I hope this is the wrong stuff." I hope. This yeah, is the- exactly. yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, but no, I, I, uh, I've not been on a movie set. I've never made a film. I've never done. Uh, you know, I don't know what goes into doing it. Um, and I do have a tremendous amount of respect for people who who do. I mean, I can only imagine. And a lot of it's been, you know, talking with Josh here about what goes into it. Mm-hmm. And um, I try to always be sort of mindful of that. Like, um, still, I mean, if it's a bad movie, I'm going to say, hey, it's not something that that I enjoyed. But I do yeah. try to find something worthwhile in there. And usually you can find something. Absolutely. I mean, uh, very, very rare do, do we watch a, a um, you know, Manos Hands of Fate where it's just a, a, a total... A train wreck from start to finish 
there's yeah. always a little something in there that you yeah. know that you can hold hold on to. Well, those are the ones I like trashing because they're spectacularly bad. I love talking about spectacular films, and some films are spectacularly good, but others are spectacularly bad. And that's when it becomes a little bit fun to get out your, you know, your snarky synonyms notebook there because it's like, well, yeah, this is this is a disaster, and so that that becomes a little bit fun. But for the most part, films aren't spectacularly bad; they're just underwhelming. Or, you know, they have some problems. And so I don't like picking on or piling on films like that because I just know that could have been a studio note or, yes. you know, that could have been the actor was sick that day or whatever, you know? So I don't know. It's just, right. not, worth, it's just not worth your time to hate something <laughs> like that. <laughs> now, and as having said that, of course, I remember, you know, my uh, Friday the 13th part five. Um, that's a movie that just rubbed me the wrong way sure. every, every which way, yeah. you know, and that doesn't happen <laughs> often. And we haven't gone into it yet, but uh, once we get around to Texas Chainsaw Massacre 4, it'll be a similar situation. Yeah. But I'm never not yeah. going to make fun of Van Helsing. Like, it's just right. Is, <laughs> okay. Uh, well, for example, let me just give one. I'm going to name a director right here. I'm sure he doesn't listen to this podcast, <laughs> but he could he could beat me up. I found um, from his other boxing match, but, but Uva bowl, right? I mean, there was a film critic one time that challenged Uva bowl to a boxing match. And I understand Uva bowl did quite well in that. But anyways, Uva bowl is somebody who's picked on a lot for his movies. But what I have learned as I've researched about Uva bowl, the guy is earnest. He's actually, he's trying to make a film, you know, that he can be proud of and that he feels good about. And, you know, if somebody's doing that, and I've I've been guilty of this, then yeah, we shouldn't be straight out jerk faces. So anyway, that's mainly me. I won't say that about Dave or Josh. I've been guilty of that, and I'm trying to change. So just a note on Uvable, he actually challenged the critics to the boxing match, not not the other way around. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. That's good. To know. And, and he, uh, I mean, a couple of things. I think you, you you know, for what you're saying, you could also say that to Ed Wood. Right. Ed Wood, and I'm not just talking about like the Tim Burton Ed Wood. Yes. I'm talking about like the real Ed Wood. This is a guy who never never wrote a line he didn't love, and I don't think he ever bothered <laughs> editing his scripts. They just all made it into the you know. He just he would just he would just throw them down on paper and not go back and look at them again. I mean, when you get a line like, you know, the, this movie is about the future than because that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives, you know, and then making it so dramatic. Every line was so dramatic, but he did it with, he, he really wanted to make a good movie. He really liked, he, I, th- I think if anything, Tim Burton did capture that part of it, you know, uh, whether it's mm-hmm. you know, historically accurate, whatever, he captured that part of it, of, of Ed Wood, that this is a guy who really, really, really loved movies and really, really wanted to make good ones. He just didn't have the skill sets, you know, to, to, to do it, or he didn't know how to edit his own material, his own scripts, whatever. Um, and it's funny, Jay, because if you remember, there were a ball, I think you and I had the same situation when we were viewed one, was it for uh, the weekly horror? Um, yes. Or horror metropolis, yeah. I think. Horror metropolis where I went in hoping to like it because I knew this guy got trashed by everybody. Everybody dumped on this guy. And I said, I want to go. I'm hoping I really, really like this movie. And what was it? House of the Dead? I think it was. Yes, it was. It was horrible. 
it was really not a good I didn't like it at all anyway I didn't think it was good at all but it's it's funny because when I I tend I tend to get that way when, when somebody really trashes something I hope that I like it that was not the case with House of the Dead it was it was bad but I, and I know I think Jay at that show you had said the same thing that you went in sort of hoping you would yeah because something worthwhile about it yeah, because I kind of like underdogs, and I like being a little bit, um, <laughs> I like going the opposite direction of the tide sometimes and trying to defend a film, but yeah, that one's a little bit harder to defend. But uh, film critic Pauline Kael, one of the greats, she said, movies are so rarely great art that if we cannot appreciate great trash, we have very little reason to be interested in them. And I think that's so true. And so yeah. when it comes to, criticism of, of the horror cinema, which is what we're getting into now, is that I think that even if there are limitations to certain aspects of the filmmaking, the aspects that they got right still need to be praised. They still need to be recognized. I was going to talk more about Manny Farber and termite art and so forth, but I don't want to delay us any further. But as we move in here to the main segment if I look over the 89th Academy Awards nominees, the ones that are, are going to get the awards here in a couple of weeks, I just do not see anything horror-related. Like, I don't see horror or horror-adjacent movies here. And I think that's a problem because I think we all agreed that 2016 was a tremendous year for horror cinema. And so, one of the greatest. Yeah, one of, absolutely. And when there is nothing... Nothing out of these, what, 30-some films or whatever that's even horror-related, it's a, a cry and shame. And so, as people who are dead serious about horror movies, Horror Movie Podcast felt like it was time to pull together the Horror Cinema Awards. When Wolfman Josh, take it away, because this has been very much uh, Josh's baby. I want the listeners to know he's done a tremendous amount of work organizing this and putting it together. We're really proud of the work he's done, and we're thankful for all that Josh has done for this episode and for our Horror Cinema Awards. So tell them all about it, Josh. Well, there's not a whole lot to tell other than what we've been talking about for the last hour plus. You know, there was a need for some such awards, and we've seen some in the past. There are the Saturn Awards currently, but, you know, those are also fantasy and sci-fi and pretty low rent, in my opinion. You know, there's the Scream Awards that uh, Spike TV used to do. But they discontinued those, I think, back in 2011 or 2012. And plus, they were just really cheesy. And, you know, I think Fangoria has a Chainsaw Award. But there's just not a respectable award show because they're respectable horror films. This is about honoring cinematic achievement in horror. And I think as horror fans, you know, it's fun to to do the Chainsaw Awards because, yeah, we're we're kooks who like splatter movies or whatever sometimes. (laughs) But at the same time there really are incredible legitimate cinematic achievements taking place in horror cinema. And I think, you know, we don't talk about those enough, I think. And so that's something I think that I really wanted to do. And I think you guys are on the same page with me as well, if I'm not mistaken, that we really, we really want to talk about quality horror cinema and we wanted to be a place for that. And we've tried to do that as a podcast to be a place where we take horror seriously as the tagline says, dead serious about horror movies. Mm-hmm. And so for us, you know, I think the podcast um, presenting this horror cinema awards is just an extension of our 
our mission statement, you know, to some degree. It and is. so uh, that's that's something that we wanted to start this year just as a podcast. I would love to see this grow into an actual award show in time. And, um, you know, we kind of threw this together at last minute to some degree. And so the process by which we're doing it, it will be different this year than other years. That's true. And I have a, we, I'm yeah, so sorry ahead. to interrupt you. I just have no. a quick question that the listeners might be wondering. So, and maybe you're just going to explain this. How does this differ from our top 10 of the year list? You know, because we, we celebrate the best movies in that episode as well, but this is quite different from that, but go ahead, Josh. Yeah. I mean, maybe you could speak to that if you have some specific ideas, but for me, this is, um, it's not just us. And again, this year is a little bit different because, uh, you know, our the time was limited uh, that we needed to uh, create the nominees and and everything. So it was a little bit different than it will be next year, for instance, when we do this again. Mm-hmm. But rather than just the three of us deciding, we want to create an academy of sorts. And rather than a permanent academy like the Academy of Arts and Sciences, Motion Pictures, whatever, this is going to be more like a film festival jury. And so I looked to Sundance and Cannes as kind of examples of how we would approach creating a jury. And ultimately, I want there to be over 20 jury members each year, and it will be a rotating group. Some people may come back, some others might not. But the goal would be to get people from all over the horror community to participate, including filmmakers, film critics, bloggers, podcasters, tastemakers, artists. And we do want to include our listeners as well. And so one thing that we want to do, for instance, is invite our horror movie podcast listener of the year each year to participate in voting on the jury. Uh, The three of us will participate each year since we are presenting the awards. But there are a great many other people. You know, this year, again, I was shooting for at least over 20. And I think I ultimately invited 28 jurors to participate. And I think Almost all of them, except for two or three, completed their ballots in time. And so we had a really strong turnout this year. I'll get those exact numbers for you guys in a second when we get into the awards. But I just wanted to talk about some of our jurors. Is this a good time to do that? Yeah, that's exciting. I can't wait for the listeners to hear about these people. Yeah, I think we just we found a really good group of people with, again, limited time. And so the way we came up with our nominees this year is we took films that had appeared in our top 10 lists or any of the listeners top 10 lists. And so I don't know what the total number of films were, but, you know, we had we said they had to at least appear on one of our lists or the listener top 10 lists and not the final listener top 10 list. But all of those submitted by our our listeners for our year end show of 2016. And so uh, we went to those and the three of us kind of came up with the nominees this year. We did allow our juror members to write in if they wanted to add a person that wasn't on the nomination ballot. Uh, That didn't happen too many times, but it did happen. And so uh, in those cases, there there are not a lot of votes for those, but they will at least get a nod, um, you know, and and. and I certainly, you know, as I finalized this list and then started hearing from some of our juror members, I definitely missed a couple of people in finalizing the nominees that I wish we had included on the official ballot. But still, they are included as write-in candidates. And I think our nominees are strong. And I think our jury is very strong. And then next year, we'll do it. Probably allow all of the jury members to nominate the films mm-hmm. next year. Is how right. we handle. Yes. 
the first group of people I looked to were filmmakers and I wanted to include again, people kind of from within our community as much as possible. And it also just made it easier since we were doing this with somewhat short notice. Uh, the first jury member who I already mentioned briefly earlier in the show is Chris Peckover. Uh, Chris is a writer director of the horror film undocumented, which I know Jay um, mm. had seen and enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris is the much buzzed about director of the upcoming safe neighborhood which debuted at Fantastic Fest in 2016 and has been playing film festivals and is slated for release in December of 2017 uh, is one of my most anticipated films of the year. And for some of our listeners who saw it at Fantastic Fest, they it would have made their 2016 lists had it been um, released. So we look forward to what Chris will be releasing next. And Chris is a listener of the show. Um, he right. said that his listening dropped off a bit when he went into filming Safe Neighborhood. But I know he downloaded the split episode because we were talking about that. So he's listening again, which is great. And uh, and Chris was introduced to our show by a longtime listener of Horror Movie Podcast. His dinner is in the oven. <laughs> so I nice. love him. That's awesome. Thank you. His dinner is in the oven for introducing your talented filmmaker friend to us and uh, <laughs> and for introducing our show to him. Uh, his dinner, it turns out, you know, he revealed his secret identity to me over the last couple of weeks. And he himself is actually also a Hollywood writer. So um, there's probably a connection there between him and Chris Peckover. But fancy. Yeah. <laughs> um, our second filmmaker, juror is Josh Stolberg, who's a listener to the show. Um, Josh, I've mentioned a couple of times recently, he's the writer director of Crawl Space. He's also a co-writer of Piranha 3D, Sorority Row, and the upcoming Saw Legacy. And Josh, you can find him on Twitter. And I will put links to all of these people, their work, and the best way to follow them online in the show notes for this episode at HorrorMoviePodcast.com. So if you want to get in touch with any of these people, please do that there at HorrorMoviePodcast.com. The next two people we're, we're uh, put in contact with via Listener of the Year for 2016, Kagan Breitenbach. <clears throat> These two filmmakers are Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. They directed and wrote the incredible resolution, which kind of blew my mind when I first saw it. They also wrote and directed spring, which uh, Jay and I reviewed, I think back on episode 43. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, uh, and they were involved in VHS viral as well. So Justin and Aaron both participated. They're both on Twitter. See spring. If you haven't yet, and, uh, and track them down. Awesome guys. And we appreciate them voting in the awards. And our final filmmaker uh, on this list is Matt Greenberg. He is the writer of many Stephen King adaptations for the big screen, including 1408. He also wrote or co-wrote Halloween H2O. And he is the screenwriter of Reign of Fire, the Matthew McConaughey dragon film. Um, so thanks to Matt Greenberg for voting as well. And, uh, again, links to all these people in the show notes, moving into the critics and podcasters section. We have Peter strain, who is a longtime listener of horror movie podcast. He's one of my favorite horror poster artists. He's also done some Blu-ray, uh, work for some big companies. I know he did the carry artwork for their re-release of, um, of carry for film four. He's done four Arrow video uh, Blu-ray cases, I guess. Um, not all horror, but he did Dark Water and Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. He's got a couple of other that movie. hush-hush projects nice. coming up. That's awesome. Yeah, 
Peter's also an illustrator for The New Yorker, Empire Magazine, The Washington Post, The BBC, and people can check his stuff out at peterstrain.co.uk. He's also on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find those at his website and on our website. So check out Peter, longtime listener of Horror Movie Podcast and friend of the show. Another amazing artist is Ghoulish Gary Pullen. And uh, Ghoulish Gary is well-known in the horror community for all of the amazing poster work he does. He's he's done also Arrow video covers for Night of the Comet and the stuff. He's done uh, DVD re-release covers for Donnie Darko and The Fly and Carrie uh, for MGM Fox. And he's a guy, he's one of the Mondo guys. So he does these incredible um, <laughs> like vinyl packaging. I know one of his most recent ones was the Monster Squad packaging uh, but yeah, just amazing work uh, from Ghoulish Gary, posters and vinyl and, and Blu-ray cases. And he's, I mean, he's an extremely well-known artist and he's a listener of Universal Monsters cast. So that's how we were able to get in touch with Gary. Um, nice. Sarah Hawkinson is a prolific YouTuber horror reviewer. Uh, she has a channel called Possessed by Horror. And it's a really popular uh, YouTube channel for horror, you know, video vlog horror reviews. She also vlogs under her name, Sarah Hawkinson, for kind of regular everyday types of reviews. But Possessed by Horror is a favorite of many of our listeners. And we were asked multiple times, you've got to get Sarah Hawkinson from Possessed by Horror on Horror <laughs> Movie Podcast. And so I, I did contact her about that. And hopefully we're going to have her on very soon on the regular show. But I was also able to rope her in as a juror here. So excited about that. You can follow her on Twitter at Sarah M. Hawkinson. And again, please subscribe to her YouTube page, Possessed by Horror, and check out that horror channel. Anya, a.k.a. A.M. Novak, is a writer for Daily Grindhouse, 52 Weeks of Horror, horror-writers.com, Vague Visages, uh, some really big horror sites. Uh, she's a, a very talented writer. I've read a lot of her work, and and I really appreciate uh, the work that she does. Just an excellent writer about pop culture and horror stuff. You can find her on Twitter at Bookish Plinko. That's A.M. Novak or Anya. Really cool lady. Um, Andrew Tadman is a listener of Horror Movie Podcast. He writes book reviews uh, for horror books. And he does that for Scream Magazine in the UK, Scream Horror Magazine, as well as for DreadfulReviews.com. You can find him online at TheBooksOfBlood.com, as well as on his social media, Twitter and Instagram at TheBooksOfBlood. And Andrew is a, is a cool guy, a listener to the show, and I'd love to get him on to talk horror books sometime when we find the right themed episode. I think that would be really cool. We've got... The old Greg Amortis from Land of the Creeps Horror Podcast. Who's that guy? Yeah, I'm just he's a southern gentleman. <laughs> a southern uh, gentleman. Yeah, he was kind enough to vote for uh, on our ballot here tonight. Uh, you can follow Greg all over social media. Look for him on Twitter at Greg Amortis. Uh, listen to Land of the Creeps with Greg and Doc and all these other kinds of awesome people and um, definitely a friend of the show, somebody we appreciate a lot. If you didn't hear our cover of 80 slashers that we did with Greg, where we talked about 80 slashers for 13 hours over four episodes or something like that. Um, Greg was <laughs> instrumental in oh, helping us pull that off. So he was absolutely. Key. And I still, I mean it when I say to me, horror podcasting legend, Greg Amortis. Yes. 
Nice. Another legend in the making, Shani Dreadful uh, Chantel is voting here on our wards. She's a sometimes podcaster for Land of the Creeps. She's a former podcaster for the Dead as Hell podcast. She made a brief appearance here on Horror Movie Podcast. She's the writer and an owner-operator of DreadfulReviews.com. You can follow her on Twitter at Shani Dreadful and Dreadful Reviews. We love Shani, and, yes. and thank you, Chantel, for taking part in what we're doing. And last of the critics and podcasters, we have Justin Beam. That's another legend. Um, <laughs> yes. Justin has written for Fangoria, Delirium, Scream, Famous Monsters of Filmland, Horror Hound, all those magazines, as well as online at Blumhouse.com, Shock2Drop.com. He's directed and produced the special feature, like videos and you know commentaries and stuff for Scream Factory, Anchor Bay, Shout Factory, uh, Prescribed Films. He was the vice president for Trankus International Films at one point, <laughs> which is incredible. He helmed the 2012 theatrical release of John Carpenter's Halloween. He was also instrumental in the 2013 theatrical runs of Silent Night, Deadly Night, Halloween 4, Halloween 5. And he is currently the host of Justin Beam Radio Hour. One more friend of the show here who is a horror tastemaker, Travis Thaligant, better known as IB Trav. We gave away some of his awesome horror pins last year on the show. He's the guy who was doing those lost mystery I love it. Uh, things with the Scooby-Doo gang mixed in with horror icons. Uh, really talented artist. If you're not following IB Trav on Instagram, it's one of the true joys in life to uh, <laughs> see what crazy horror-themed, beautifully realized sketch he's going to post each day. He recently created a poster from scratch for the new Child's Play movie, which, you know, the the actual poster hasn't been released yet. But if it's any better than his poster, I'll eat my hat. I mean, his poster is incredible that he made for a non-existent film at this point. Uh, Looks really good. Josh, here's the thing about I.B. Trav. To me, he's the Daniel Johnston of horror art. I mean, I, I really appreciate <laughs> his work a lot. As do I. And uh, then we just have some horror academics to round out our list here. We've got Carl Cederholm, who's been on our show before for our HP Lovecraft 101 episode. Carl is HP Lovecraft scholar. He's the author of the age of Lovecraft book. He teaches at Brigham Young university and you can find Carl on Twitter at Carl Cederholm. We have Kenitra Brooks from the university of Texas at San Antonio She's the author of Finding the Humanity in Horror, Black Women's Sexual Identity and Fighting the Supernatural. And she's in the process of writing a book called Black Women Haunting Contemporary Horror. So we look forward to Kanatra's book on that. We have Maisha Wester from the Indiana University of Bloomington. She teaches race and class in American horror cinema. Uh, She has talked about how Birth of a Nation, the original silent film, is actually a horror film. And then the context of horror from the perspective of an African-American is much more expansive than demonstrated in most mainstream fare in Hollywood. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, interesting. I, that's, that's amazing. Interesting. I could see that. Yeah. And uh, Maisha is the author of African-American Gothic Screams from Shadowed Places. Uh, excellent book to I recommend checking out. 
Yeah, because Josh, uh, yes, uh, the birth <laughs> birth of a nation. I mean, that has like siege narrative elements and everything oh, in it. Yeah, like, absolutely. crazy. That's awesome yeah. stuff. Okay. We have Dr. Arnold T. Blumberg from the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. He's on Twitter at Doctor of the Dead. You've seen him in horror documentaries like the 50 best horror movies you've never seen and The Walkers Among Us and Doc of the Dead, which also featured horror movie podcast own Kyle Bishop. Yes. Definitely check out Arnold uh, on Twitter. He's prolific. He's got his own podcast and he's written many amazing articles uh, definitely a guy to check out. An interesting zombie scholar. Our own zombie scholar, however, is one of the very few people who did not submit his ballot. Damn so, it, uh, Kyle. Kyle <laughs> said he was going to catch up on some movies over the weekend, but he did not submit his ballot. So I'm assuming he did not, in fact, catch up on those movies. He <laughs> is very busy, guys. Like, serious. Yeah. yeah so, and very naughty as well. Yes, he's in big trouble. Finally, we want to include some people from the HMP community. And so we are including, as we mentioned, each year on our jury, the listener of the year for Horror Movie Podcast. This year it is Kagan Breitenbach. <laughs> and we're a big fan of Kagan's. Yes. We we are. So Absolutely. Much. But this year we also, since it's our first year doing the awards, we thought we would grandfather in previous winners of the Horror Movie Podcast win, uh, listener of the year. Mm-hmm. And so that will also include Dino, Juan, and David, uh, prolific commenters at HorrorMoviePodcast.com and uh, previous listeners of the year for Horror Movie Podcast. So that's right. That is our jury. Um, these are the people that voted on the nominees that were selected from your, the listeners' top 10 horror movies lists of the year. So I feel like although it's not ideal, it's still pretty good. You know, I think we... <laughs> I think that- we we pulled it together. Josh. It's awesome. That's incredible. Yeah, I just got to say, okay, Wolfman, first of all, that was an incredible jury that you put together there. And, um, you know, just to say two awkward things right now, it occurs to me as you read all this off how weird it's going to sound what I was saying about being a jerk critic and trying to be <laughs> trying to be better and not as much of a jerk critic from now on. And the people that you've mentioned who may or may not listen to the show. Um, I think I'm yeah. going to stop being on this show and stop saying stuff. <laughs> stop. It's like, Oh my goodness. Okay. It's amazing. So yeah, I want to thank everybody for participating in our jury. That is wonderful. And we're, we're sincerely honored that they were a part of this. I believe that is uh, 22 jury members plus the three of us for a total of 25 jury members that comprise the first horror cinema awards jury. Okay. Yeah, and I, and I would shoot between twenty three to twenty six each year is what we'd probably want to go for. So mm-hmm. that would be keeping in with the Cannes Film Festival jury, which I think is a good barometer. Well, and the other thing is, I mean, I think yes, I admire and totally appreciate how you're going, like following what like Can is doing. I, I agree with that, but also it's not just that there are like twenty five ish. But these are 25 from around the the industry and community. So it's not just like this little pack of people right here in this niche of horror fans. I think that works really well. So I feel like we we're going to get a very respectable result with this particular jury here. It's a good cross section of people, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, for sure. Josh, tell the listeners then, how do you want to reveal the nominees and the awards? 
So I think we should just go through the list of nominees in the order that they were on the ballot just for our ease. I think that will be the easiest thing. It's probably a weird choice to make since we are trying to honor the cinema. But I think there are several awards where there are more than one name. I'm not talking about like a co-writer situation, but like in some of the technical categories, there might be like four to seven people who are nominated uh, for each film. Mm-hmm. And so my suggestion is that we just read the title of the film for those. Okay. Uh, and then all of those names will be in the show notes. So if it's best visual effects, the entire visual effects team will be credited in the show notes, but we won't read all of them. Yeah. And so I'm sorry to those people, but it would make arduous listening. Yeah. Plus we'll mispronounce their names, no doubt. And that's not good. either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, once you hear how we pronounce some of the names that we do read, then you'll be glad we didn't read your name. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> All right, so for our first category here, we have Best Actor in a Leading Horror Role. And the nominees are Anton Yelchin, Green Room, Ite Tyron, Demon, Kwok Don Guan, The Wailing, John Goodman, 10 Cloverfield Lane, Stephen Lang, Don't Breathe, Brian Cox, The Autopsy of Jane Doe. And the winner is for Best Actor in a Leading Horror Role. John Goodman, 10 Cloverfield Lane. I'm so glad that John Goodman won, not just because I voted for him, but I just want to say we have been lamenting that over on Movie Podcast Weekly that he probably wouldn't get an Oscar for that performance. (laughs) Yeah, I'm absolutely a John Goodman fan. He was not my personal vote getter for this award, but I cannot argue with it. It's fine. And I will probably repeat myself many times as we go through here, but I think all of our nominees are strong. And so I would be happy if almost any of them won any category, to be honest. Yes. All right. Next up, we have best actor in a supporting horror role. And the nominees are Christopher Lloyd. I am not a serial killer. James Kahn, the good neighbor. Mad Dong Siok, trained to Busan. Wang Jung Min, the wailing. Ralph Innocent, The Witch, and Patrick Stewart, Green Room. And the winner is Christopher Lloyd, I Am Not a Serial Killer. Yes, I feel good about that. I do too. That is a great choice. I mean, it was, and I was debating. It was between him and the one I eventually went with, but Christopher Lloyd was amazing in that movie. It was just so great to see him back in a role that wasn't just a joke. You know, I think a lot of the time... Ever since he did Back to the Future, anytime he was back on the screen, it was kind of just a joke. And right. it was great to see him in a serious role where he just crushed it. I mean, it's one of his yeah. best roles of his career. I can't disagree. Yeah. Okay, up next, we have Best Actress in a Leading Horror Role. And the nominees are Kika Magales, The Eyes of My Mother, Nagaris Rashidi, Under the Shadow, Anya Taylor-Joy, The Witch, Zoe Kazan, The Monster, Jane Levy, Don't Breathe, Teresa Palmer, Lights Out, Vera Farmiga, The Conjuring 2, and Ruth Wilson, I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. And the winner is Anya Taylor-Joy, The Witch. Yes, (laughs) no doubt about that, for me at least. I mean, they were all good, of course, but phenomenal performance. Again, this is one where she didn't get my vote, but I I can't argue with it. I think for me, The Witch is one of those films where all of the elements together elevated the film beyond what I think any of the single elements are for me personally. Like, I think there were some other performances this year that blew me away a little bit more. But as a whole, in the finished film, the performance that she gives is perfect for what the film needs. And she's just mesmerizing in it. 
Yes. Well deserved. I cannot wait yeah. to watch Anya Taylor Joy's career. I cannot wait. And next up, we have <laughs> Best Actress in a Supporting Horror Role. And the nominees are Abby Lee, The Neon Demon, Bella Heathcote, The Neon Demon, Jenna Malone, The Neon Demon, Imogen Poots, Green Room, Maria Bello, Lights Out, Madison Wolf, The Conjuring 2, Barbara Crampton, Beyond the Gates. And the winner for Best Actress in a Supporting Horror Role is Imogen Poots, Green Room. <laughs> yeah, again, really tough competition in this section, but I love that movie, and I think she's uh-huh. just incredible. And she's not an actress that was really on my radar, although, of course, she was in 28 Weeks Later. I think just most of the work she does is just kind of not my wheelhouse, and so I was really surprised when I saw her in this, and she blew me away, so... This is one that I think I voted for her, <laughs> but if I didn't, I, I'm really happy to see her win this regardless. Agreed. Next up, we have Best Original Horror Screenplay, and the nominees are Nahong Jean, The Wailing, Robert Eggers, The Witch, Lawrence Michael Levine, Always Shine, Adrian Garcia Bogliano, Scherzo Diabolico, Ian B. Goldberg, and Richard Yang, The Autopsy of Jane Doe. And the winner is... Nahong Jean, The Wailing. Yes. That is who I voted for as well, I have to say. I just think it's one of the most incredible, yeah, films I've ever seen. I Mm -hmm. think The Witch is one. I think The Wailing is one. I think these will go down as all-time horror classics. I think we're lucky. I feel lucky to be experiencing that because I really haven't experienced that as someone who was raised, you know, kind of came of age in the 90s, really. You know, Scream is the one big movie that came out when I was a kid that was like, that was amazing. And, you know, I was pretty young during the 80s. And so I, I loved all of those movies, but I didn't have the experience of being an adult who could really appreciate everything they were. Yes. And so for me to kind of like this to me is the exorcist of our time. And so just to get a chance to have seen this, you know, right when it came out and be talking about it and be part of that zeitgeist has been really exciting for me. I just got up at uh, three o'clock in the morning recently to watch that. And I was excited to wake up at three o'clock in the morning to fit it in before (laughs) work, because it's as you know, it's about it's nearly a three hour film. and, And I wanted to fit that in and I was excited to get up and I went right through it and loved it. And I I want to I want to watch it again, actually. Yeah. Hopefully you can watch it when you're a little more awake. But that's incredible that you stayed awake. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. a great. Three hour slow burn at that hour, Jay. I'm, I'm impressed. It, it speaks to the film and how uh, how well it's developed. Wonderful. The next award is Best Adapted Horror Screenplay. And the nominees are Christopher Hyde and Billy O'Brien. I'm not a serial killer. Josh Campbell, Matthew Stukin, and Damien Chazelle, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Eric Heiserer, Lights Out. Simon Barrett, Blair Witch, Kitty Dippold, and Paul Feig, Ghostbusters. And the winner is Christopher Hyde and Billy O'Brien, I Am Not a Serial Killer. I think that's a really strong pick. That would not have been my initial thought personally, but that's one that is just incredibly written. I mean, it's unlike anything I'd ever seen, as I said, until kind of the final scene of that movie came along, I thought. I'm watching a masterpiece. I'm watching one of my favorite movies I've ever seen in my life. And um, right. although I didn't love where the movie went ultimately, I don't think it was because of the writing. I think it was just, you know, a little bit of CGI and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think this is well-deserved. Agreed. All right. And the next category is Best Cinematography in a Horror Film. And the nominees are Hyung Kyung Po, The Wailing, Don Burgess, The Conjuring 2, Natasha Brer, The Neon Demon, Anna Biller, The Love Witch, Jaren Blaschke, The Witch, 
Robbie Bumgardner, Blair Witch, Sean Porter, Green Room, Mark Spicer, Lights Out, Isi Sarfati, The Similars. And the winner for Best Cinematography in a Horror Film is Hong Kyung-pyo, The Wailing. Yeah, that was my choice. And this, it really is just a, a, a remarkable movie to, 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 to watch. It, it's so beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful films of the entire year. I mean, in, not just in horror cinema, but in cinema at large. This could have yeah. been nominated for an yep. Academy Award for Best Cinematography. And should have been, no, in fact. No doubt. No doubt. But that's why we're here. To Thank fix... You. To, to fix the wrongs. That's right. right. That's what we're the doing. <laughs> Next up, we have Best Art Direction and Production Design in a Horror Film. And the nominees are The Neon Demon, Tale of Tales, 31, Baskin, Blair Witch, Train to Busan, and 10 Cloverfield Lane. And the winner is Elliot Hostetter and Austin Gorg for The Neon Demon. Nice. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, that was such a visually tantalizing film. It's hard to, you know, to uh, have a problem with that as a win. It's just uh, visually mesmerizing. Yeah, and, and the use of color. I mean, <laughs> gee, yeah, absolutely. Neon Demon. Now we have the award for Best Costume Design in a Horror Film. And the nominees are Anna Biller, The Love Witch, Sean Porter, Green Room, Kristen M. Burke, The Conjuring 2, Eloise Kazan, The Similars, Linda Muir, The Witch, Massimo, Cantini, Perini, Tale of Tales. And the winner for Best Costume Design in a Horror Film is Anna Biller for The Love Witch. Yes. I mean, after all accounts, and Josh, in case the audience is unaware, will you remind them what she did for that film? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, you know, she created just some beautiful costumes, but this was a film that had almost no budget. And so the director herself, over a period of years, handmade all of the costumes in this movie. So, and we have some years and handmade. Those are what that's what you got to pay attention to. (laughs) In that description. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> so they're, they're cool anyway. You know, they're kind of like these beautiful, like 70s style go-go girl kind of witch like movie clothes. But the fact that they were handmade, yeah, herself over a period of years is just phenomenal. So I'm actually I wearing one. I don't have a problem one. with this at all. You're I'm, wearing one right uh, now. <laughs> I'm wearing one of those designs right now, actually. It's an it's an original Anna Biller. Yes. This was a really fun category for me to think about as well, because I think you have some really incredible Kind of more of the type that would be nominated for an Academy Award, uh, like Tale of Tales, and, or The Conjuring 2, or The Similars, or The Witch, where you're going into kind of these historical places or just dealing with very fanciful kind of costumes. But I also love that Anna Biller and, and Sean Porter are nominated here because The Green Room, as I talked about when we reviewed the film, just gets everything right about the punk scene. And so I think it's really cool that they've created their own world, essentially. I mean, it's certainly based on the real world, but their own world of costume design that is so unique to that movie and doesn't exist in any other horror movie this year, you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, that was cool. And I just really enjoyed this category. Totally agree. All right. And now we're going to move into best director of a horror film. And the nominees are Na Hong Jin, The Wailing, Jeremy Saunier, Green Room, Fidi Alvarez, Don't Breathe, Karen Kusama, The Invitation, Robert Eggers, The Witch, and Yon Sang-ho, Train to Busan. And the winner of Best Director of a Horror Film goes to 
Nahong Jin, The Wailing, which I know yep. Joshua is probably very pleased about this. I, yeah, I can't disagree mm-hmm. with that. I mean, I, it makes me so happy to see that. And um, yeah, I, I just, I, I love this film. And I think it's a film that the degree of difficulty is so great. It's balancing so many different elements yes, yes. and tones and it still manages to be surprising at the end and uh, kind of subvert your expectations most of the way through. And uh, it's, and it's just beautiful to look at as well. Like there are just so many great elements about this movie. So I, I was just going to say about the direction of this film, this film could have very easily have been a disaster. Like yes. if the direction were not right. so de- definitely executed, like because of the, as you mentioned, Josh, all, all the various tones and, and what's going on. I mean, I can't even imagine. So yeah, that's, that's well-deserved win. Yeah. And the director, I don't know if you guys have seen his previous films or not really horror films, but I mean, he is a true auteur, you know, he's someone who is just next level filmmaking is as good as anybody working in Hollywood right now. So, uh, you know, we've talked about the rumors that they'll remake this movie. Uh, Ridley Scott is interested in it. I hope it's not true, but I have seen some rumors that they may bring him to direct the American remake, which I think would help. So that could be cool. But is not necessary, in fact, because not necessary. There's not really a damn thing wrong with the whaling. So let's leave no. it. <laughs> right? yeah. But it's gonna it's gonna happen. So since we can't control that it's gonna happen, I kind of want to to be you know the best it can be. I guess I'm rooting for its success since we can't stop it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. The next category is best foreign language horror film, and the nominees are the whaling from South Korea. Train to Busan, also South Korea. Demon from Poland. Under the Shadow from Jordan. Scherzo Diabolico from Mexico. Francesca from Italy. And What We Become from Denmark. And the winner is The Wailing, South Korea. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I definitely a good choice. I yeah. mean, uh, I really enjoyed Train to Busan, but I think just as a, you know, as you're looking at as just an overall achievement, The Wailing is phenomenal mm-hmm. i'd have liked to see films like under the shadow and demon get a little more um exposure or show so diabolico but i think i really couldn't imagine it going any other way than trying to Basan or the whaling here so yeah uh, i'm just grateful that what we become was at least recognized and nominated i mean i think that's wonderful as well yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then Jay, I know that we, you know, we talked off air a little bit, and you said Train to Busan is the more fun of the two films, and I absolutely agree. Train to Busan yes. was my pick for most fun horror film of the year, but uh, yes, but I do think that The Wailing is a masterpiece, so I, I'm very happy with this. Me too. Next, we have Best Practical Effects and Horror Film, and the nominees are The Mind's Eye, The Autopsy of Jane Doe, Thirty One, Green Room, Clown. The Monster, The Conjuring 2, and Frankenstein. And the winner for Best Practical Effects in a Horror Film is The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Yeah, I think that's a tricky one, and I think that's great that it won, because although some of these films, like The Mind's Eye, were maybe a little more flashy in their use of gore effects and everything, I think The Autopsy of Jane Doe really has to work, because... It's supposed to look real, and it's supposed to look real the entire time, and its authenticity... Uh, you know, kind of the film relies on its authenticity. So I think right. that's it's a strong pick. Yep. I agree. I was glad to see, I was glad to see it get something. Our next category is best visual CGI effects in a horror film. And the nominees are Ghostbusters, 
The Conjuring 2, 10 Cloverfield Lane, Lights Out. And the winner for best visual effects in a horror film is The Conjuring 2. Yes. Yes. That's a good, good choice. For a, a widespread U.S. released horror film, which say what you will about those films, I, I think a, a lot of them are, are decent, but this one I think is on a higher level, and I'm, I'm genuinely glad that it, it won something at this award show. Yeah, I think it's interesting to see these particular films nominated as definitely, you know, the studio films that we got this year, and, you know, I think it's hard to compete, like we were mentioning, on a lower budget if you're a... If you're an indie film with the CGI budgets of some of these bigger films like Ghostbusters may have been my pick. In fact, I think I got my vote in this category. It's wall to wall CGI and it looks fantastic. I will say for The Conjuring 2, it managed to be scary to me the entire time. So <laughs> yes. that's that's an added bonus. I was terrified. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yep. This is also one of the categories that was the most even. I don't you know, we're not talking about what percentage any of the films got, but I will say since the, you know, there were only four nominees here, they almost perfectly evenly split the pie in a way. And I'm talking about like the pie graph, I guess that we're looking at the pie charts we're looking at yes. uh, for the visual reference for, for our listeners who are listening along. Um, this was the most even of any of the categories. So it certainly seems to be. Yeah. Yes. The next category is best editing in a horror film. And the nominees are, Yang Jin Mo, Train to Busan, Julia Block, Green Room, Kim Soon Min, The Wailing, Louis Siafi, Blair Witch, Stefan Rube, 10 Cloverfield Lane, Austin Harvey Stock, Michael Fierick, Tanya Fierick, Megan McHugh, Sean Mayer, and Christopher M. Lundy, Hush, and Eric L. Benson, Louise Ford, and Gardner Gould for Don't Breathe. And the winner is Yang Jin Mo for Train to Busan. Yes. Ran away with it, right? I mean, and, and I think that yeah. was pretty clear to me. Like when I was voting, I'm like, okay, well, obviously on this one. Yeah. I mean, I think some of the films created an incredible amount of tension, like Green Room and uh, uh, Don't Breathe. I mean, the the tension is palpable in those types of films. I think Train to Busan is, in a lot of ways, an action film. And I think for editing, action is one of the hardest things to get right. This movie is in a one-location movie for, for most of the thing. And so I think that, the, that they are able to not only keep the tension high, but constantly ramp the action and maintain that level of tension and excitement for the entire film mm-hmm. is a testament to the editor more than probably any other single element. So, yes, yeah, yep. incredible. Absolutely. Okay. Now we go to one of the most important categories for a horror film, and that is best sound design in a horror film. And the nominees are Blair Witch, Don't Breathe, Hush, Green Room. Okay, and the winner for best sound design in a horror film is Hush. That's interesting. That's a nice choice. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a movie that depends completely on sound. You know, I think Uh Don't Breathe was another that was similar that depended a lot because of uh, you know, those both films deal with disability in a way. One deals with a blind person, one deals with a deaf person. And so it makes a lot of sense that sound would play a pivotal role in those films. But I think for Hush, for me, uh, that makes it superior is that it's that film is really all about sound in a lot of ways. And they do some really fascinating things with sound in the film um, that play out in important ways uh, for the story. So I thought that was exciting. Uh, as I watched it. And you know, I'll say something because as you mentioned earlier, we are looking at like pie charts, you know, it shows us a graph of 
how the votes go in these and, <laughs> and and setting ourselves aside or at least setting myself aside you can tell that our jury really knows what they're talking about in some of these because with this graph the way it's divided up it's like oh okay yeah like they all they all tuned in to that particular aspect of the film and i think that's really cool to see so props to the jury voters there all right you voted the other way then you're an idiot yes you're (laughs) which in some cases it's it's been me that's been the idiot okay so go to hell everybody then next up we have best original score in a horror film and the nominees are cliff martinez the neon demon Mark Corven, The Witch, Steve Moore, The Mind's Eye, Roke Benos, Don't Breathe, Joseph Bishara, The Conjuring 2, Ariel Lowe, The Eyes of My Mother, Adrian Johnston, I Am Not a Serial Killer, and Marcin Matcook and Christoph Penderecki for Demon. And the winner is Mark Corvan for The Witch. Yeah. That was, that was actually my choice, too. I, I think with the, the mood that that music sets sometimes when you're just looking out at the woods, you know, and and that kicks in um, just the sense of dread that it builds. I'm with you, Dave. In fact, on the score for The Witch, I would say this is one of the films here among these that whose score itself in and of itself. If all you could do is just close your eyes and hear the score, that music would make me feel afraid alone. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think there were a lot of strong scores this year, you know, as we've talked about with a lot of the categories. I think Demon is one for me that really stands out as a strong score. Um, there are some that are just good music, like I think the Neon Demon and um, I'm Not a Serial Killer. Those are just like great musical soundtracks to listen to. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, some complement the films better than others. And I think Demon is one of those. I think The Witch is one of those. And although this is probably not how you should judge a horror soundtrack, you know, The Witch is the only one that I own on vinyl. So (laughs) (laughs) it it said something to me. (laughs) Moving along to breakout horror performance. And our nominees are Jane Levy, Don't Breathe, Wes Robinson, Blair Witch, Richard Brake, 31, Neville Archibald, 13 Cameras, Samantha Robinson, The Love Witch, Kate Siegel, Hush, Anya Taylor-Joy, The Witch, Harvey Scrimshaw, The Witch, Lily Rose Depp, Yoga Hosers, and Harley Quinn Smith, Yoga Hosers. And the winner is Anya Taylor-Joy, The Witch. (laughs) Yes. Very close race here. Uh, One of our closest. That's right. But uh, a decisive win for what is surely the breakout star uh, of the horror films of this last year. I mean, she went from no one knowing her name to starting in three big films within just a few months of one another Mm -hmm. uh, with The Witch, Morgan, and now Split. And uh, I don't see her career slowing down anytime soon. She seems like a real real star. And And I love that for someone who's getting so much attention, at least for now, she's sticking with horror, so that makes me happy. Uh-huh. Nice. Now we move to the best horror ensemble, and the nominees are Green Room, 10 Cloverfield Lane, The Conjuring 2, Don't Breathe, The Triangle, The Invitation. And the winners for best horror ensemble are Anton Yelchin, Imogen Poots, Aaliyah Shawkat, Macon Blair, Patrick Stewart, Mark Weber, Eric Eidelstein, Joe Cole, and Callum Turner for Green Room. <laughs> yes. Nice. Yep, this is my vote. I saw that coming. 
But uh, yes. I just want to be a little bit unprofessional for a second. And I know that this is not, <laughs> not unusual for me. Everybody out there, if you haven't seen The Invitation yet, go watch it. That's another great ensemble performance. Just saying. It is. It no is. sour grapes I, I here. but No, I, I would I say the same it. for The Triangle, even though I voted for Green Room. I th- I'm, I'm glad that The Invitation and The Triangle recognized because I hope more people will see those smaller films. Agreed. Okay, the next category is Best First Feature. And the nominees are Dan Trachtenberg for 10 Cloverfield Lane, David F. Sandberg for Lights Out, Babak Anbari, Under the Shadow, Robert Eggers, The Witch, Nicholas Pesky, The Eyes of My Mother, Jackson Stewart, Beyond the Gates. And the winner is probably one of the widest margins. It is Robert Eggers, The Witch. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty decisive as well. I think we had a lot of great nominees and just... You know, we've talked about how many great horror films there are. We have not yet talked about how many of them were first-time efforts. And so, <laughs> yes. right. phenomenal right. that some of these films were directorial debuts. Exactly. And, uh, and so, yeah, really strong category here. But yeah, it's pretty decisive for Robert Eggers. Congratulations to Robert Eggers. Okay, Joshua, are you excited? I am. Do Should we all say it at the same time? No, this is you. It's all you because you, you did so much legwork to put this together. Of course, you get to mention the best horror okay. film. Well, I didn't plan it this way, but okay. I'm going to give the final category here. This is the best horror film of 2016. And the nominees are Green Room, The Witch, Train to Busan, Don't Breathe, The Wailing, The Invitation, the Autopsy of Jane Doe, Hush, Demon, 10 Cloverfield Lane, and Lights Out. And just a side note, these were the nominees for Best Film came from a combined list of the Horror Movie Podcast listeners and the Horror Movie Podcast hosts. This was the only category that was chosen completely by that combined list, which was compiled for us by Jeff Hammer, a listener of the show, in front of the show. Thank you, Jeff, for giving us these nominees. And thank you to our listeners for helping nominate all of the films in this category. The winner of the best horror film of 2016 is Green Room. Oh, yeah. There you go. And I was uh, another very close race here for Green Room. It was a tight one, but it's one that I am happy with. Yep. Totally. Me too. Absolutely. Well, congratulations to all the nominees and winners of this year's Horror Cinema Awards. I think they've done a fantastic job. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're not a fan of The Wailing or The Witch, you maybe you're a little upset right now, but I, I can't say I'm totally surprised that those films did as well as they did, and I still think there were a lot of other films uh, that won in, in categories that they deserved, and I'm very happy that all of the nominees were mentioned on the show because I think... Uh, a lot of really important work was done this year. I'm glad that we got to honor that. And, you know, I, I joked at the beginning of the show, it's an honor just to be nominated. I, I You know, we couldn't say that about our own <laughs> nominations, but I really feel that way. I feel like uh, we're honoring the nominees because I, I, I really love most of the movies that are nominated. I love and, I, and I'm completely impressed by the work of everyone nominated in each category. So I totally yep. agree. Absolutely. I, I think the jury did a did a hell of a job. Yeah. yeah. The winners this year. I love having these definitive victories that that say and put out there, these are the great horror cinema achievements of the year. And, you know, we, we did forget one category. What's that? 
best editing for a horror podcast, and that's this damn show right here that you just heard because because <laughs> this has not been fun to edit. But but uh, actually, we we do have a little uh, special segment, right? Which are the HMP specific, the horror movie podcast awards, which are almost our own little inside baseball horror awards within the realm of our show, right? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, those will just be fun, and, and they're more for probably longtime listeners will appreciate those more than anyone tuning in for the first time, but we want to baptize you into our way of thinking, and so we're going to share with you kind of some of our more fun awards that maybe would feel more at home at, like, the Scream Awards or the MTV Movie Awards or something. Yes, yes, so these are less formal, but uh, still quite official to us. Now we're going to do the HMP-centric awards the horror movie podcast awards particular to our show in the first category is the survival horror award which means it could actually happen in real life and the winner is green room yes there's no question on this right guys because i mean clearly green room is a true survival horror scenario and it's also the thing that could really happen to you in real life. These guys stumble upon something that there was no way they could have foreseen that it could happen to any of us. And it escalates in such a terrible way that that's what makes it truly frightening. <laughs> well, and we've been musicians, Josh. I mean, we've played venues that, you know, somebody could die <laughs> there. <laughs> right, yeah. Okay, we have the Horror Happens in the Daylight Award, and that will go to Train to Busan. That is a film that takes place almost entirely in the daylight, Jay. <laughs> yeah, like the whole film is in the broad, bright, stark daylight. And it's one of my favorite kind of horror scenarios because a lot of times horror, and it's not its not a bad thing, a lot of times it relies on the shadows, but this is scary in the daylight. And, and if anything, things get better for these guys in the shadows. Minor spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right, then we have the Beastly Freak Award, and that goes to Clown. Yes. I think is a good choice. And we should say, for those who don't know, the uninitiated Beastly Freaks are creature features, basically. Yeah. Jay's creation of a word uh, to describe uh, (laughs) the monster of the week. So, yeah, I mean, I think Clown is one of the definitely one of the most beastly freaks that we got this year. One of the freakiest, one of the weirdest. And I I love I mean, I thought it had great character design and and costume design. And I I really enjoyed that as a monster. So I totally agree. All right. And next we have the Deep Cut Award, which is a great film that many people didn't end up seeing, but we want to champion it on Horror Movie Podcast. And of course, that would be The Invitation. Wolfman and Dave, this is seriously one of my favorite horror films of 2016. And to be honest with you, like I loved Green Room, as you know, and The Witch and and so forth. When I first saw this earlier in the year, I wanted this to be my number one of the whole year. And I was kind of sad that it couldn't be. But The Invitation is a must see for any horror fan. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. So up next is our Laugh Till It Hurts Award. This goes to our best horror comedy of the year. And the one that we really wanted to nominate is They're Watching, which is a film that, you know, as I was watching it, it didn't even occur to me really that it was a horror comedy. I just thought it was a scary movie with funny characters. Uh, But it definitely becomes a comedy toward the end for me. And I think, you know, a lot of other people realized it was a comedy throughout. And it's just, it's a really funny movie. But the reason I liked it here is that it was actually scary. You know, the tension really worked and it took the threat seriously. 
again and probably until like the last three minutes or so so i think this is a good choice for laugh till it hurts yeah and we've talked about this before in the past but i mean if we have to have a (laughs) the blend of these two genres in a horror situation then i'm happier when it's horror first and then comedy added in and this is like a smaller film right i mean i know people have seen this but this is a little bit lesser known so i'm glad they get some recognition for this film yeah absolutely and then we have the real life horror award which is to say documentary and we have agreed that that would be tickled (laughs) oh boy not (laughs) traditional horror in the traditional sense but (laughs) right josh there's a mystery it's disturbing you'll be surprised how disturbing it is if you've not seen tickled i dare you I dare you to watch it. <laughs> yes. yes, we do. All right. Then we have the Horror Happens to Those Who Deserve It Least Award. And that goes to The Conjuring 2, that poor family in England. Yeah, there, there uh, were a lot of children in peril this year, but that film seemed to have the most children in peril. Yeah, it had <laughs> right. a, even right. more children in peril than Lights Out. So, yes. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I really felt like that little girl in the film who, you know, we had nominated in our Best Supporting Actress category you know um madison wolf man she was she really tugged at my heartstrings i was scared for her and i feared for her she i was scared of her and uh just an incredible performance there yes i agree yes the fright award for scariest horror film or movie podcast awards to the wailing uh there's not a scarier final scene of any movie this year in my opinion (laughs) i was terrified and especially when, you know, very minor spoiler, I'm going to be vague. The movie sets you up for this from the very beginning. And yet, uh, and you don't think it's ever going to go where it goes. You know, you think you're dealing with urban legends. You think you're dealing right. with confused mind. And when you get where it's going, not only is it what, you know, what you have been already told up front, but it's scarier than you even thought it could be. So and that's what that's what really gets you about it is it does drag you in so many different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just uh, it takes you back around. And uh, that's one of the best things. Uh, one of the best things about the movie. I mean, there's a lot of great things about it, but just that it, it, it keeps taking you this way, then that way. And, and you just, OK, now I think I got to figure it out. And you don't. Mm-hmm. Not to the very last scene. Do you, do you really know what what's going on here? There were a lot of viscerally scary films this year, like The Conjuring, I thought was scary. Yes. But I think it was really the slow burn, surprisingly, that just left me with this feeling of dread. The Witch and the Wailing just left me with overwhelming dread yes. at the end of, of them. So, uh-huh. well, And I'll tell you what yeah. affected me about The Wailing is our main character, the police officer, he's almost a comedic character. I mean, he's he's yeah. humorous. And, yeah. and I also think he's meant to... To represent any one of us like just basically the average person who doesn't have any particular set of skills like <laughs> to speak yeah. of and someone who would be I guess out of their depth if they find themselves in this situation and so yes, you are right. relating to the weakness of this character just as a person who's like what is going on and then he, yeah the guy can't do anything he can't even show up at a crime scene without being yelled at by the chief that's right he, and then it's like <laughs> it's like a force majeure was a horror film <laughs> <laughs> exactly Yes, and yeah, that that film's horrifying in its own right as well. But anyways, yes, The Wailing, great pick, horror movie podcast. (laughs) 
Okay. So that leaves the Thrill Award, which is Best Action Horror, and that goes to Train to Busan. Nice, really. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Those Most are... exciting time in the in the movies this year was Train to Busan for me. So it was, it yeah, was me too. And... Me too. It was very fun. Okay, well, anything else that you guys want to talk about before we wrap up the show? Because it's about that time. We got some excellent comments from Dino, who was one of our jury members that we intended to include in kind of like a wrap up color commentary portion, but we ended up kind of giving a lot of our commentary during the actual awards themselves. And so I apologize, Dino, but uh, hopefully Dino will leave those in the comments section on horrormoviepodcast.com below the show notes for this episode. I want to just thank our jurors again. I'm sure you guys do too. Uh, I will leave links to all of their stuff in the show notes at horrormovie.com. Follow them on Twitter. Follow them on Instagram. Buy their books. Check out their records. These are really cool people who were kind enough to contribute to our community. And uh, we really appreciate their time and their effort and uh, catching up with some of the movies they hadn't even seen in some cases. I will just add, um, it was lucky that so many of the nominees are currently streaming online for free if you have a subscription to Netflix or Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to leave some resources also in the comments section about where you guys can stream some of these films if you hadn't seen them yet, because it's really incredible to have so many excellent films available on Netflix or, or Amazon. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen Green Room or The Wailing, you can get out and watch it right now on Amazon Prime. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I will leave those links. And, and those were very useful resources as we compiled these awards nominated lists <laughs> completely agree yep. and so we hope that our community has enjoyed the horror cinema awards and what we are planning to do now so at the end of 2017 you know we're still going to have our top 10 horror films of 2017 list um, we're still going to do that but then each year around the time of the academy awards that's when we'll be releasing these shows um we're going to put out our version of what we think should be honored and recognized in horror cinema. And so look next year for our second annual horror cinema awards. And uh, we'll look yeah. forward to that. So, And unlike our year end list, again, just to put a fine point on it, it's not just what we think should be recognized, but really Correct. what the larger group, yeah. horror community thinks should be recognized. And exactly. Yes, we'll that, continue to work to get quality juries like we had this year and even more diversity because next year we won't have to draw directly from the people we know because it's last minute and please help us please help us it will be hopefully a little <laughs> bit more widespread but yeah we again we cannot thank enough the, our kind jury so thank you guys absolutely. absolutely thank you so much yeah josh wolfman josh i just want to express appreciation one more time to wolfman josh he he threw this whole thing together and organized it within a two-week period that's what i'm saying that two weeks ago this wasn't even a thing yeah. and that's the amazing <laughs> thing you know that this wasn't this wasn't even a reality he got all this together in two weeks it's it's incredible so thank and now you. we've changed the course of the rest of our lives <laughs> that's right because now we're going to be doing this. That's how quick it happens, right? Because yeah. now this is a thing. And we're going to do we're going to do this as long as we can as we can have voices to speak with. That's right. Right? That's okay. right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yes, cuz the horror cinema deserves to be celebrated and recognized because we're dead serious about horror movies. 
So we have not talked about this this month, but it is Black History Month as we're speaking. And it is also, for the last eight years, I believe, Women in Horror Month. And so there is a great website called GraveyardShiftSisters.com that merges the two and they do Black Women in Horror Month. That's and, awesome. Yeah. And that's actually through this website, Graveyard Shift Sisters, is how I first heard about uh, the scholars Kenitra Brooks and Maisha Wester, who were two jury members on uh, the awards this year. And they just have awesome articles about women's contribution to horror and the cool profiles of female black filmmakers and scholars and just a lot of really cool articles that I would recommend people check out. That's graveyardshiftsisters.com. I wanted to remind people about our dead serious horror challenge for people who don't know what that is. <laughs> head over to horrormoviepodcast.com. Check out the sidebar. There's a link. You can read the blog post about it and you can enter yourself to take part in this challenge. This is one of our favorite things that we're doing. And uh, our, one of our favorite listeners, Allison with a Y. Allison Clark. Yes, she was a <laughs> former guest on the show. The absolute best entry we've seen so far. No offense to everyone else, but guys, yeah. this is incredible. Allison and her husband went to a wedding. It looks like over a weekend at the Timberline Lodge and Ski Area, Mount Hood, Oregon. Now, for people who don't know what that is, <laughs> Red that Brown. is... That has the exterior. <laughs> yes, that is the stand-in for the Overlook Hotel in Stanley Kubrick adaptation of Stephen King's The Shining. And so, uh, yeah, they went up there for the weekend. They watched The Shining in a little snow-covered hut near the Stanley Hotel. It was a, uh -huh. a snow cat's ride away up into the, up into the snow. <laughs> the craziest thing about it is the exterior looks like it does in The Shining, like the amount of snow where it's up to the windows. Mm -hmm. I thought this must be production design. This, this cannot be what it's actually like. No, it was actually like that. Yeah. <laughs> the snow's go, like practically covering the Timberline Lodge, which again, you know, that is what we see as the Overlook Hotel in The Shining. So anyway, incredible entry. People should check it out. We have retweeted it on our Twitter page and Allison has as well. The easiest way to find that is just search hashtag dead serious horror on Twitter. You'll find all of the entries so far. And Allison's is just incredible. She brought it. One quick thing on that too. In the film, The Shining, and I won't go into this too much in case somebody out there actually has not seen it, but at the very end, there's kind of like this little stinger moment that makes you wonder about time, I guess. Right? You know what I'm talking about. There's like a zoom in. Anyways, and it's cool that like within this video, it's like, what year was Allison with a Y there at the Overlook Hotel? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's kind of like, like, okay, was, was she there all along as well? But anyways. And with that, I think that just about wraps up episode 111 of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Let us know what you think in the comments. And uh, Dr. Shock, before we go, let the listeners know where they can find more of you on the internet. And no, not that one, not that one site with the pictures, but the other. No, no, no. That, that's been taken down. Okay. Um, you can, you can uh, visit me at dvdinfatuation.com. Um, uh, I'm at dvdinfatuation on Twitter. Uh, I have a Facebook page as well. And I am also co-host of the Land of the Creeps podcast. 
and also the uh, Universal podcast with uh, Wolfman Josh. That's right. And uh, Wolfman Josh, what about you? Where can the listeners find you? Um, I have a show where we cover streaming content. It's called Movie Streamcast. We do short reviews of streaming content, tell you whether to stream it, cue it, or skip it. So basically help you manage your cues over there. You can check that out, moviestreamcast.com. I am personally on social media at Icarus Arts. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And as Dave said, Universal Monsters Cast at universalmonsterscast.com. We got our first three episodes out by now, I believe. And uh, it's been a lot of fun talking about this emerging Universal Monsters cinematic universe. Up next on the show, in episode four, we are going to be diving into the Universal Classic monster films with the our review of the Universal Mummy movies. So it should be a lot of fun. Uh, we're having a good time over there. And uh, yeah, check us out. Yes, and as for me, we have a sister show called Movie Podcast Weekly where we are not even a little bit serious about all genres of movies. It's the clown car of movie podcasting, but we do talk about new movies that are currently in theaters. So if you want to check out what's what's new, come to moviepodcastweekly.com. And we have also been called, um, much to my chagrin, the most offensive family-friendly podcast on the internet so, <laughs> so that's moviepodcastweekly.com and if you just can't get enough of movie podcasting or movie related podcasts this show is part of what is called the movie podcast network we actually have a number of great shows along with uh, movie podcast weekly and universal monsters cast and horror movie podcast here we have retro movie geek where they talk about nostalgic cinema. A lot of it's from like the 80s and 90s. And then you have the GeekCast Live podcast, which they talk about movies, as well as a lot of other geeky type topics. You've got to be a hardcore geek to keep up with those guys over there, but it's freaking hilarious. Josh has Movie Streamcast, as he mentioned, which is an exceptional show. That's one of my favorite movie podcasts on the internet. And we also have the Sci-Fi Podcast, which... If you love genre films and you love horror movie podcasts, well, the Sci-Fi Podcast may be the closest show on our network to this one because they basically do exactly what we do over here except about sci-fi movies. That is the Movie Podcast Network. We're going to be releasing our uh, first special features episode here coming up on March 1st. You do not want to miss that because uh, it's got a number of surprises in it and we talk about one or two horror films in there for you as well. So anyways, we'd like to thank singer-songwriter Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Cinema Awards theme song. Longtime listeners will recognize this song as the original theme music to the very first incarnation of this show, the weekly horror movie podcast. I knew of no other way to honor the Horror Cinema Awards than with the theme of the weekly horror movie podcast. Frederick Ingram also wrote the HMP theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. And Kagan Breitenbach is responsible for providing additional orchestration for Fred Ingram's theme music. You can find Kagan's website at kaganbreitenbach.com. We'll have both musicians' links in the show notes for episode 111. 
We love your comments, so get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for episode 111 here, or you can email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to leave a voicemail at 801-382-8789, and you can find all of our past episodes, all 111 of them, as well as our previous incarnations of this podcast, which are the Weekly Horror Movie Podcast, 28 episodes, and Horror Metropolis, which has 10 episodes. All of those are at our website, horrormoviepodcast.com. You can subscribe free in iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Horror Movie Cast. And of course, if you like this podcast and you want to support this show, you can leave us a review in iTunes and help spread the word about Horror Movie Podcasts. So I think that's it for episode 111. We thank you for listening and you can join us again Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Horror Movie Podcast.